Come on and join me on the B-side With movie stars that weren't in their prime Made other movies that got left behind That got them covered on the B-side You're gonna like it on the B-side Cause you got Dan and Connor by your side Throwing your knowledge from the inside And now you're listening to the B-side Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the B-Side Podcast. For the film stage, as always, I'm Dan Mecca here with Connor O'Donnell. As you know, we talk about movie stars, not the movies that made them famous or kept them famous, but the ones that they made in between. And today we're talking about Michael Douglas, but it's a trick. Yeah, different. His name's Michael Keaton, but his his real name is Michael Douglas. I don't know if y'all knew that. Yeah, Michael Keaton Returns. That's that's the title of this episode. Um, Michael John Douglas from Pittsburgh, whose stage name is Michael Keaton, because there was already a Mike Douglas who had a talk show and a Michael Douglas who was a burgeoning movie star. Um, So Michael Keaton's our man today. And Connor, can you list our B-sides? Sure can, good buddy. Uh, So... Obviously, we're kind of returning to this one. If you haven't listened to our conversation uh, from a couple of years ago with Andrew Jupin of We Hate Movies, oh, right, right. part one of Michael Keaton uh, on that, we covered The Squeeze and Speechless and Game 6, and I'm blanking on one of the other ones, but that we cover a couple good ones and not so good ones there. I'll find the fourth one. But... Um, I believe extreme measures or desperate measures was I was it desperate measures. We've we've covered both of the measures on this podcast between the Hugh Grant episode and uh, and the first Michael Keaton episode. I always just get them confused. But uh, but this time we're going to hone in a little bit more around a period in his career um, here. That was the four. Yeah, that was. Sorry, I'm just confirming that was the. The, the three were the squeeze speechless in game six, and we talked a bit about desperate measures. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And right. I think like with a pit stop by white noise a little well, bit. Well, you got to talk. Uh, yeah. Mean, of course. You got to talk white noise. A, yeah. a ghost tornado. Um, <laughs> also, but, not the one you're thinking of. Yes. Yeah. Different one. I love different how both one. white noises are not the ones you're thinking right. of. Like they're both <laughs> equally kind of like uh, white noise. Okay. Okay. Um, it's the Spider-Man meme, but there's only two of them. Exactly. Well, and also, the there, other one. There's an irony. And I'm sure we talked about this on the episode of that. He was in a movie called white noise and also in a not, Don DeLillo. Right. Yeah. Not long after being in a Don DeLillo yeah. movie. And he wasn't in the Don DeLillo white noise, and which, now, six, which now exists. I, you know, you should go back and listen to that episode, but I said it there. I'll say it here. Game six is like, to me, it's like better, Birdman, um that's like kind of how kind of yeah, it, kind it feels of. to me um he's very good in that movie that's a that's a really good movie but anyway that is not what we're talking about we're not retreading we're returning though and we're going to cover a few movies he made kind of before and and just after his stint as batman uh so we're going to talk about clean and sober from 1988 then we're so that's right before he played Batman. Then we're gonna do the Dream Team from April seventh, eighty nine, same year as Batman. Uh, then we're gonna jump ahead to ninety one for One Good Cop, right before Returns, and then My Life uh, from ninety three, so right after Returns, in which he co-stars with Doctor Chase Meridian. So right, which interesting, is funny, of course, the year before Batman Forever. Interesting stuff. And that's here, right. to, here to uh, help us do that is our good 
friend, returning guest. I think we determined five five timers club now. So congratulations. We have yeah. absolutely nothing to give you. Uh, but we have Corey Everett, creator of Cinephile Card Game here. How are you, Corey? Corey, what's up, Corey? How you been, man? Uh, always happy to be here. Uh, for, Corey, for we never, who... Corey, we never talk. <laughs> yeah, what are you going to say? What have you been for up any, to, dude? I for was... anyone listening, yeah. we talk every single day along with Jordan Raup, co-founder of the I Film Stage. I might talk to you more than my wife because with the two kids, Lord knows. it's just... Honestly, I don't even have kids and that still might be true. <laughs> but all, all of that being said, uh, this is certainly uh, uh, one of my most listened and favorite podcasts. And I still feel like I basically have to start pestering you guys months, if not years in advance for each reappearance of mine despite being in contact every day so i think i started pitching this to you back in may before oh, he was returning yeah. yes yeah. as yeah. batman in the flash and i said why don't we do this it's God, already we'll look at this the, point that's so funny to think about <laughs> exactly that, actually. yeah it's by the time you're hearing this I it's think... probably available on max probably um, yeah. but, but probably. we did definitely start thinking about this uh before the flash even came out and i thought well Really interesting Batman, you know, the Tim Burton original is one of, if not the kind of seminal movie in my young life, you know, as a Same. seven, eight year old film goer. And uh, it is so interesting that after two movies that he walked away from that character. And so on the eve uh, of him kind of revisiting and returning to that character, you know, three decades later, I thought it'd be really interesting to dive into the period just before and 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 in between and just after his stint at Batman, just to kind of look at his evolution as an actor around that time. It, it'll be, and we don't have to go too deep on the Flash, God knows, uh, but it is interesting because it's. I, I think one thing that's threaded through all of these movies are the little things here and there that make him a great Batman. Um, oh well, and yeah, and, oh yeah, and w w what is funny is almost none of them are p present when he returns to Batman, <laughs> which is just kind of an interesting, unfortunate, well, yeah, unfortunate thing for that to, movie. But I think we all just assumed, that not because of quality or, or or whatever. I just, I think we all just probably assumed the Flash was going to be a big hit just because it was bringing sure. I mean, the poster was literally like the little flash and like the huge <laughs> bat plane or yeah. whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they were really leaning into like worlds collide. And it's like, you know, and um, it did not work out. Spoiler alert uh, for all those who've been following that. Um, but so the thing about Keaton, right? I mean, I guess we usually do where it was your first Keaton. We kind of already did that in the last episode, obviously. I'm assuming, Corey, Batman for you. I would assume Batman for me. I don't know what I, else I, it could have been. I think I actually, I think my dad brought me to Beetlejuice in the theater, which was sure. eight. Okay, Beetlejuice. So I, I think, Damn, that's a wild I fucking young. I think that was the first. I <laughs> young may for the have juice. seen Mr. Mom uh, around that time as well. But uh, Batman was the one that, I mean, absolutely cemented him for me. Yeah, Mr. Mom was a big Julie Mecca movie to the surprise of no of no listeners. Um, of course, that would be a big, you know, and also has, I mean, look, this is the thing. We'll get into it. Mr. Mom, not obviously not a B side, a big, big, mm -hmm. huge hit A side. Iconic. I mean, it's very dated. God knows. But like, you know, you know, you're going to do them all 220, 220, 221, whatever it takes. That's iconic. I mean, that's really funny. And he I think the thing I came there's like two big things I came away with, which we can get into talking about these movies. 
One is he's the best. I just think, I, and I that's not new news, but what a fascinating actor and winning. He's a winning star. Like he and I was well, well, but it's so much more than that because I was trying to think of like who is even remotely in the same ballpark, and we were actually talking about a separately. Connor, me and you and our friend Adam, Sam Rockwell has a little bit mm. of what Keaton has, which is what I think Keaton's the big live thing is. wire energy. He's yeah. a chaos agent, right? Yeah. Like Keaton's thing is he plays these regular guy roles, which is like, which is like kind of fake news, right? It's like, yeah, absolutely. yes, he does do that, but it's they're never like normal people well it feels like a Absolutely. double it feels like you're getting like a double blind with keaton right where it's like always you know you're and getting when, he, like, and when you don't get which it which is what makes him a good bat i was gonna say well that's like, the thing and when you don't get it the movies tends the movies tend to be poorer for it like i watched for example he made a hockey picture called touch and go that came right. out in the mid 80s it kind of got that was like the same year as gung-ho right yeah like, but right, it was right, like it yeah. got made two years before and then i think the company got shelved and then sold it to another company to finally got released this in 86 i think and it didn't really do particularly well and he's just like a hockey player and it's an insane it's got an insane b plot with like home invasion and stuff it's like a very weird movie but his character's like pretty like johnny good hockey player and it really the movie lacks an energy and part of it's that energy which is like in dream team right he's yeah speaking of insane you know, b plots by the way well yeah <laughs> but like but so i guess we'll start with clean and sober clean and sober was right so clean and sober is um is a a super interesting movie it's glenn gordon karen i believe wrote and directed at card yep. feel yep. fact correct. check okay no that's correct now glenn gordon karen if you don't know him he was a pretty in-demand guy back then he i believe when this movie is getting made he's like running moonlighting so like which is like the third biggest show on tv which is the thing that made bruce willis right. a star right so glenn gordon karen's like no shit big guy so this is his like passion project you know he didn't write it okay but T todd carroll directed it glenn gordon karen Todd Carroll wrote it. Glenn Gordon Karen directed it. And yes, he was, he created Moonlighting and Medium years later. Oh, fun fact. Well, okay. Anyway, so this is a pretty straightforward addiction drama. It's basically, I'll do the quick plot. Michael Keane plays a guy named Daryl Pointer, who's a kind of a hotshot real estate, you know, guy. Um, it's set in Phil in Philly. They call him a real estate salesman, but he's like a commercial real estate salesman. Yeah. So it's like closer to Wall Street than it would be to like your aunt who sells a house. You no, know? he he wheels and deals in large amounts of money. Right. Like, and so yeah. like in the first five minutes, okay, a girl yes. is in his bed, ain't no clothes, he's doing coke, she might be dead, right? You find out. A minute later, $92,000 is missing. You, a minute after that, are like fully like, oh, this guy embezzled the money, right? Yeah. And then like a minute later, she's in the back of an ambulance. She's in a coma. Yeah. Doesn't look good. And then like a minute later, it's like, hey, hey, fellow real estate commercial salesman, I need you to float me the 92 or like push it around. 
buy me some time. He's like, I can't do this. He has a beer at like nine in the morning. And then basically <laughs> to skirt both the cops, because this woman who he had sex with and did drugs with may die. And they're like, don't, you know, don't, don't, don't go don't too go far, too far from home. Yeah. And his also job, who's like, hey, where's that almost $100,000? Um, <laughs> he goes into a rehab program as a means of like, escape like hiding out yeah basically which yeah. is kind of a clever the, i mean as it's the, as, but, as, but, as like but has no 19... intention of getting sober when he goes he's just kind of like i need a place exactly. to stay this is good exactly. cover Ex yeah morgan freeman's the running it. Yeah. it it's been a long time since i watched one flew over the cuckoo's nest is that not basically a similar kind of thing i right? guess where, it is it's like i always took the mcmurphy thing like, is like he's like taking a break Oh, because I always assumed it was like and, he was like a and somebody criminal? somebody out there might be rightfully like yelling at me because maybe it's like text and it's just been years since I've watched it. But I always assumed like, yeah, part of the thing of One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest is that he was like faking it. Right. And then and and then well, that, that and I that's think the, right. that's there the, might be some truth to that. And that's the irony that. of yeah. the movie you, is that yeah, the way you it lose ends, the shore when you're out at sea, and which it, is funny because Dream Team also has a, a, quite a bit oh. of cuckoo's nest in it. As yeah, well. well, no, Dream, it's Dream Team is Dream Team <laughs> is is funny cuckoo's nest. Yeah, yeah. you know, like, yeah, yeah. which cuckoo's um, nest is funny, but but, but Dan, um, I I noticed that everyone stopped listening to this episode as soon as you ran down the first four minutes because they're firing up the film clean and sober because the description of the first eight minutes is so insane that it's, everyone has stopped this podcast yeah. to immediately fire up it the is, film. It is nuts. And, and in like, fairness, the last eight minutes are also kind of crazy, but it's really yeah. like, it's basically a two hour long picture that I do, let me just say, I do like a lot. And I do think it's one of Keaton's best performances, but I also think it has some like really bad tropes in it. Sure. Specifically around the Kathy Baker character who becomes kind of the love interest. I will also say in the program. I think she does a great job oh. in this movie. I think her oh, performance. Let's in this use is this like, opportunity. Yeah. Kathy Baker, one of the great undersigned. Yeah, I think she is you know, very good in the movie. I always, I always talk about the Robert De Niro movie, B side Jackknife, which is a, sure. an amazing uh, film. She's the lead in that. Or for Batman so. fans, uh, she's the horny neighbor in Edward Scissorhands, the other oh, sure. film yeah. around this period. Yes. Uh, yeah, that's yeah, right. where I, I knew her from. Really having a moment, Kath. Really having a moment. I always remember Kathy Baker played a weird parent or teacher in that show Boston Public. Sure. Which was a movie what? that my mom and really liked and I watched episodes of and was I, I crazy. Could, could be wrong. I think Kathy Baker is also the woman that uh, Harrison Ford is married to in Age of Adeline. Oh, oh yes, yeah, she is. And she oh, has yeah. one of the best scenes in the movie. Yeah, um, she's great in that. Actually, she's, she's very good she's in that, too. She's great in that. So, but anyway, suffice it to say, he finds out through the course of the movie and many, many, you know, uh, you know, uh, tr trying to escape and denial and all these things that he is, in fact, a drug addict and an alcoholic. And I... I do. I will say this. I respect this movie, and this is somewhat of a spoiler, but whatever. The like where the movie's going is just him admitting it, right? And I do think he goes through so much to admit it that I do think, in its own kind of gonzo '80s high concept way, it does in a weird way properly reflect how difficult it is 
to fight addiction they're, as yeah, opposed it's to like, like it's like accidentally revealing a very deep truth like well yeah well because yeah. you always think you know addiction dramas yeah. ever since the lost weekend they're they're pretty common you know they're, they're their own subgenre, and you can almost like trace the extremities yes yeah as the decades go on but like in 2000 right sandy bullock made a movie called 28 days we talked about it on this podcast betty thomas directed it also not a bad picture but kind of the opposite of what i'm talking about it's kind of yeah. like she gets into her like recovery and it works way quicker yeah yeah yeah. and i and i yeah. do think clean and sober is pretty good about being like it's not easy and right. it's like the whole like admitting it part is like really not easy. And, and when there's like an amazing scene where he calls his mom. No, that to like, scene. That's that's like what you would describe as his rock bottom. Right. Like because he's basically, that might be the best like performed scene he's ever done. In a movie. I, I he's think, so I, good. It's just him in a phone. I, I think it's, overall this is probably one of his best performances. Oh, I think without question. I think the interesting thing. And I don't want to get off of this movie too soon, but I, I just do think the interesting thing about all four of these movies is, one, I liked every single one of them way more than I thought I was going to. True. Amen. Yeah. Um, and two, he's pretty he's pretty good in all of them and or and or very good. Right. Uh, even if and even if the movies are kind of uneven to a degree. And I think this this is one of they those all ones. Have insane subplots. They all yeah. I know. And look, subplots. we you know, Dan <laughs> and I crazy. have Dan and I have talked about this uh, with our our good friend Blake Howard. The notion of like joke. We were joking around about the notion of like not having to like a whole movie, right? And I think a lot of these movies are like that. Like I think Clean and Sober definitely is. I think the tragedy of Clean and Sober is that like it does. It does feel like it gets t to something very truthful and very honest and relatively well represented until a, literally like the third act of the movie. And then I think it go it gets into like very high drama, specifically with the way it treats the Kathy Baker character that I think undermines almost all of the goodwill that I think the, I, mo the movie builds up. Turns into a romance question mark. Yeah, and I, and I don't even <laughs> mind the romance part of it because i th there is one moment when the romance starts to brew she basically calls him out at one point as like just b being a different kind of enabler right and like and and calling out sort of the codependency that's probably not healthy for either of them given their their you know states on the path to sobriety uh or continued sobriety let's say and I think that stuff's interesting and earnest and it feels uh, it feels well rendered. I think the way it threads all of it through to kind of then just be used as a tool for like his ultimate clarity is like what feel I feel like they just really kind of they really do Kathy Baker dirty in a way that I think undermines like what they set up for a lot of the movie. But I I think the movie overall is pretty good. It's not an easy watch necessarily. It's like I almost none of these are really easy watches. I mean, Dream Team obviously is a comedy, but it's like kind of a slightly harder watch for other reasons. Um, I, I was actually surprised that that like I guess for for thirty five years I've kind of been aware of this movie as yeah. as the role that got him cast as Batman as. Thinking about like his career prior to this being mainly for these kind of live wire comic roles. And yeah. then this was the one that showed, oh, he has a dramatic side, you know, like he can yeah. do drama. And and so for years it was known to me as 
oh, the movie that convinced the Warner Brothers suits. It's like his Batman You know, when audition. Tim Burton said, hey, like, yeah. I think this guy can do it. And they thought, you're crazy. It, w- it was this that made them go, okay, we're going to roll the dice. Yeah. Um, and then the only other thing I knew it from is just the kind of box art for it with, you know, him in the black sweater, you know, leaned against the wall or Looking whatever. Looking like a total stud. <laughs> total like... it, it just looked between, between that image and the title, I had just always expected this to be like the bleakest fucking, you know, like drama that yeah, I've ever yeah. seen. And so I was really surprised when I watched it that it wasn't that dark, you know, it was, you know, it is so funny and it's so human and it doesn't dwell on you know the bleakness that you certainly could you know take this in a in a direction of that is it really has that kind of 80s post james l brooks ron howard human thing where it's like yeah it's a drama but it's funny and it's you know it's got memorable characters and it's not it's not kind of all one thing or the other like it, it does settle into a little bit of an easier middle of the road than I had expected just based on the title and that one image. And I think what what I think is interesting about this, and this is something I think about a lot, and I, I just want to bring back the, the concept of like not having to like a whole movie, right? And I think movies like this and movies in this era that you're even referencing, right, are so indicative of that because they offer so much, right? And And sometimes the result is that they don't all hang together, necessarily because maybe all the ingredients don't entirely mesh but you're gonna come away with something you know you're gonna like at least have something to like hang on to or whatever and i do think to dan's point earlier especially with movies like this that kind of have developed their own subgenre to a degree um it you know if you lean too much into one aspect of it you're going to get a little lost because if you can't sell that one aspect or if it really that one part rings false and that's all your movie is then you have a way bigger problem right um and yeah i think with this there were i i think where this movie is valuable and like totally worth the watch are like all of the little just sort of micro moments like when he you know when they go to the movie theater when like dan mentioned before i mean keaton has this moment where you you know like i said you get the idea it's maybe his rock bottom where he calls his parents you get the idea they haven't spoken in a million years probably and it's just a one-sided phone conversation you don't you barely even hear intonations of what's being said on the other end so the whole thing is basically a monologue all keaton just talking into the phone and like having to go through all the steps of getting money from his parents in the same way that you imagine an addict would rationalize getting a fix, right? Like he goes through all of those, like the negotiation, the manipulation, like all of those things. And it's, it's a great scene. It's really is like, I, it is no wonder that somebody could watch this movie and go, oh, okay, no, this guy, like, this guy has the goods, yeah. right? Like, um, yeah, I wrote, um, there, there's this scene towards the very beginning after the kind of he wakes up and the girl doesn't wake up in his bed and all the coke and everything where he's drinking and driving and listening to the radio and there's some stat about like more than 70 million yeah. Americans are alcoholics and it's like yeah. played as this really darkly funny moment where he just has no self-awareness at all, you know, as he's listening to this and kind of flipping through the stations. Um 
but it it's this thing where he's he's playing an awful character but like you don't hate keaton because of the way he's able to inhabit this role because of like his essential essence i'm like in some ways as dan mentioned it's like you know the the his performance is Bruce Wayne and Batman is one that I've seen so many hundreds of times that I've committed to memory. And so watching these movies around that period and just before, it is interesting to see, oh, this is a feature length. You want to get nuts. Let's get yes, nuts. You right. know, like no, it's totally, like totally. you're seeing all yeah. the tools in the toolkit, uh, you know, that I know from this other, you know, much broader context. Um, but it's really interesting to see him kind of learning that and and you know experimenting and and uh, you know looking at his imdb page of just what his career had been up until you know yeah. clean and sober or up until batman in 89 it's like so crazy to remember like he was a comedy guy he was right. the like i go big i'm beetlejuice i'm you know mr mom i'm i'm the, the johnny guy johnny, Jane, shift. Donnie I'm johnny dangerously, dangerously. Yeah. it's yeah. like he was a goofball and it's like he is mannered and he has that live wire energy. And so it's so crazy because I feel like he learned how to kind of be calmer and be still and and do less, but still have that, you know, peeking out in later roles. But um, well, it's, it's like it's interesting to see him get a handle on that in in basically this movie, seeing him kind of juggle it, both both speeds as as a kind of you know just to b-side it right like this is the same year as beetlejuice right clean and sober so yep. like it is fascinating to think about like you're getting you are getting two sides of like okay here's this dude with this crazy effortless in, in, intense mania right and let's uncork it and then let's cork it right like that's right. like what these two movies are kind of um it's not a perfect movie because I think I think movies like this, too, I I give a little bit of a pass to because I think any movie that's dealing with like really tough subject matter, you know, that maybe we have more awareness of now, more sensitivity towards now, things like that, like are just not going to be handled as well. Right. So anything it does kind of trip over a little bit, I'm willing to like negotiate around that part a little bit. Um the, the thing with both this and my life, which kind of bookends the whole conversation, is like how much they both seem in that humanist James L. Brooks vein of like no matter how heavy the log line is, like there is so much humor and humanity throughout this whole thing that it's right. not just a drag. And I feel like in one good so many of the movies today, it's like it has to be pushed to one extreme or the other. It's like if it's going to be about a heavy subject matter, it's going to be you know, the most, it's going to be, you know, the whale, it's going to be so intense yeah. and so in your face. And instead of having this kind of lighter touch where movies could kind of tread in that territory, but still make something that you would leave the theater and think, oh, I like enjoyed myself at that. Even though, like I said, you read the log line and you would think this sounds really intense and heavy. Yeah. And I yeah. think, and I think it's easier to be effective as a movie like this, if you are kind of juggling with your audience a little bit, right? Like it's easier. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to say easier. I don't want to make it seem like any, anything involved in making movies or well, telling more, stories. More palatable, is, certainly. It's, right. It's, 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 it's just more effective and more impactful, I think, to deal with your audience that way to be like, because it just keeps them on their toes, right? It's like, you know what? You know what has less of that mm. and deals in similar 
in the in a similar world to your point, Corey. Ten years later, Ben Affleck and Gwyneth Paltrow are in that movie Bounce. Bounce, yes. And Bounce isn't bad. I like Bounce. I believe Don Ruse directed it, but it's like pretty solemn. You know, it's mm-hmm. like once mm-hmm. you get past that first twenty, and he's like dealing with his alcoholism, and there's you know, it's a very high concept movie as well. Which, like, look, I would kill for a bounce in theaters right now or a right. clean and sober for that matter. So the bar has, you know, as we always talk about, is, you know, the game. I mean, Robert, change, but... Robert Zemeckis, for God's sakes, was like, I'm going to make an addiction movie, but I have to put a fucking spectacular plane crash <laughs> right. at the center of right. it. But to you like, know, that's a good like... point. The flight, flight, flight is. It is palatable. Similar. Yeah, no, 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 I'm not saying yeah. it's not. It is funny. It, for it all is, the same yeah, reasons, that's a, right? It's, yeah, that's a very good, more recent, even though that's now like But over doesn't 10 that feel old, insane but, that he's yeah. like, he's like, okay, to make it really all sing, though, I got to put yeah. one of the most insane It's got to be a thriller, you know? Yeah, it's got to yeah. be in the box and the biggest, of a thriller. And the, the biggest movie star, right? In the, like, right, you know, right, the, right, most, right. the most reliable movie star, yeah. you know, in terms of box Look, he's going to roll it. He's going to roll it. I'm going to roll it. Yeah, so Clean and Sober, I think is just an interesting touch point in his career and a movie kind of as we as i as i have we all seen this movie before is this a first time no that was first for me oh really um yeah i I had had never watched it all the way through i'd seen it in pieces this movie forget this is like to your point Corey, about the i guess to all, all, all of what we were saying before about like the double blind of michael keaton and what he was known for for a while this movie was like on comedy central like this movie was oh, pro- wow. this movie was like programmed on Comedy Central. Like I remember it was like That's funny. It was like, oh, Mr. Mom and then clean and sober. And you're like, cool. Okay. <laughs> really? okay. Like and so well, I, I would I'd seen it in pieces, but I'd never watched it well, all the way through. And and, and you know, he, he's been very vocal about this his whole career. He always was pivoting, right? Like yeah. always pivoting, always saying you know, ter- you know, somewhat famously, right after Night Shift, was offered Splash, turned it down because he didn't want to do another one of those. Right. Tom Hanks takes it. And then really the 80s is like Hanks v. Yeah. Keaton. Right. I have a whole section in my notes about this is is it clean and sober produced by Ron Howard, who he had worked yeah. with on Night Shift and Gung Ho. And that the entire like 80s and 90s is such a fascinating split of Hanks and Keaton being neck and neck. And then 93, Hanks just totally taking off and Keaton's career starting to wane. Well, I think, it's so interesting. Yeah, I mean, I think Bat, Bat, the Batmans floated him for a couple years. And then you get like once the Hanks streak starts with the yeah, League of Their it's Own. Over. 92 92 it's just done because then it's like speechless doesn't really do business you do have the paper in there which is great the paper is great but it didn't do amazing but but by the time he gets to jackie brown in 97 for me it felt like oh this is a comeback like i haven't seen michael keaton in five years excepting maybe one or two movies none of them yeah, none of it, like, you know, we'll get into it, but like My Love, My Life does okay, Speechless does okay, the paper doesn't do that well. Like multiplicity is like a big release that that does not do well. Yeah. Right. And that's kind of the end. And then it's like, you know, supporting piece in a great movie, Jackie Brown, okay. And then it's like Jack Frost World. I mean, and, and, it's really and, quick. And that it's really from, quick. Yeah, 93 to 98 is when Hanks ascends with his imperial oh, the, run and two Oscars Stewart. and becomes oh, the biggest movie star. Yeah, Let me, yeah, but I, 
I want to move on to the next one. I'm sure you do, but I just want to give you my quick Hanks v. Keaton. Is, Go for it. So no, both please. started yeah. out as Ron Howard goofballs, Night Shift and Splash. Both tr- took a major dramatic swing, uh, ha- uh, clean and sober for Keaton uh, uh, every time we say goodbye. Both Big and Mr. Mom were big hits, which are both that kind of like, hey, you know, what if he, Infantile you know, male, what if he yeah. did this kind of thing, you know? Like pre-Apatow, um, Apatow. Sure. And, yeah. and both transitioned to being dramatic actors in the 90s, you know, Keaton with Batman and Hanks with Bonfire of the Vanities, right as that decade starts. But by 93, Hanks pulls ahead uh, and Keaton just starts to wane during that killer decade. So um, the other interesting thing is, you fast all the way forward. So there's a rough 15 years for Keaton. And then post Birdman, his career has been amazing for 10 years. And Hanks has been struggling. Do you know what I mean? Like that's your I mean, hologram for the King Hanks he, era. I guess so. Hologram and Keaton's the King, been the Birdman and Spotlight. But and Hanks his, still has his, like. Uh, Spider-Man role and, you know. But Hanks still like, you know, Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood and Captain Phil. You know, I mean, he's still kind of, you know, America dad. Sully. The, uh, right. These are hit movies. I'm just saying. Like, yeah, but it's not these the are, '90s. You know, they're they're, no, they're basically no. more more evenly matched, if anything. But Keaton's been in what two Best Picture winners? Right. That's true. Yeah. That's undeniably so, true. And yeah. you know, yeah, got finally got the nomination for Birdman. Should have won. I mean, really should have won that. Um, as much as I don't love Birdman, I think it's fine. Yeah, I think that performance deserved. Uh, Deserve some gold, but um. Anyway. Well, before he decided to do it in real life with the Flash, so know, which is so <laughs> freaking funny that that happened. Anyway, so the next movie is the Dream Team, um, which you know, as we said, comes out the same year as Batman eighty nine, like t- t- two months before. I think it was April versus June, right? And is a funny movie. I mean, it's yeah. directed by Howard Zeif, who Zeif actually, I think it is. Who's a workman guy, did a lot of these types of movies. He did um, the main event, Private Benjamin and Faithfully Yours remake, the two My Girls, right? Like one of these guys. And, um, you know, another high concept kind of comedy in which um, it's basically Michael Keaton, Christopher Lloyd, Peter Boyle, Stephen First are the these four inmates – I get inmates inpatients inpatients yeah they're not patients in like a, at a they're sanitarium not in like a prison per se yeah, yeah yeah they're at a sanitarium is 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 the easiest way to say it in jersey near new york right so trenton they're yeah. kind of young kind of mark, hot to try. mark maron therapist yeah ambitious <laughs> right, yeah. therapist uh dennis uh Batsakaris, dr weitzman has the brilliant idea to take these four patients to a baseball game, to a Yankee game. Um, and um, in the city, in the city, like a little field trip. And you have these different characteristics like Keaton has an anger problem. He likes to rile people up. He seems like we talked about kind of the McMurphy of the group, like the most quote unquote sane, whatever that means, or the best at faking it or the best at right. dealing with it. And then you have like Christopher Lloyd who just thinks he's a doctor, which is such a great bit actually. And the whole time I just, the payoff of that is also time. like super sad. 
like yeah later oh, in the movie. Well, yeah. No, that's <laughs> the, true. The opening with him walking down the hall. Walking around it's a really so yes, it's a great it's a great yeah. bit because it's so I, I guess good. we're quasi spoiling it, but we are introduced to Christopher Walken and you think he's just Christopher like, Lloyd. Christopher Lloyd. Sorry, yes, Christopher Lloyd. Thank you. And oh god, I wish it. I wish it was Walken. Now that no, I said that, I Lloyd's like, great. I no, Lloyd is good. Lloyd is great. But. Christopher Lloyd, yeah, you're you're fully convinced he's like a real doctor because <laughs> yeah. he goes and he goes to the other patients who have to he's join like him in rounds. groups. Yeah, yeah, he's yeah. Like, yeah. And he's yeah. like, I'm gonna write you up and blah blah. It's gonna go in my report, and whatever. And you're like, okay, well this, it, and you you it feels like he's just doing yeah, like a a comical version of like Nurse Ratchet, right? Like that's well, sort he's of also like, in Cuckoo's Nest, which right? is yeah. yes, yeah, and yeah. and this is the same year as Back to the Future Two for him, so it's a pretty pretty hot. Yeah, he's zone like for he's like popping Lloyd. off too. He's popping for uh, and, popping. and Roger Rabbit the year before, I think eighty eight. So he's really he really having a yeah, moment he really in the zone there. When was Clue? Yeah. yeah, Clue would have been like eighty six, eighty okay. five. I think yeah. so. Yeah, a few years um, before. But Clue was a Clue was a flopola. So, but now people love it, Beloved. which is the, yeah. as they should. It's a great movie. Peter Boyle thinks he's Jesus. He's like a finance guy who kind of walked away from it. Adver advertising, advertising, and advertising. Sorry, yeah, yeah. and is convinced he's the second coming. Um, and then Stephen First, who I don't know as well, though I know he's been in movies. I think he was in Animal House. I had to look him up. Yeah. yeah oh yeah, he's like the new recruit. That's right. Oh, yeah. God, of course. Yeah, that's where I know him from. He um is basically not a mute, but like only communicates in baseball slang. And he's and he's a big Yankees fan. Just from like watching TV and yeah. And uh, and that's basically it. They go into the city. Um, well, Stephen first, yeah, that's, Stephen, that's half. That's half. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. You think, you think, no that's, that's the, the setup. Okay. Yeah, that is the yeah. setup. That's yes. the setup. They, yes. they go into the city. Stephen first has to go to the bathroom. Albert's his character's name. They go into an alley. It's a great New York scene where like he tries to go into a, an establishment to use the bathroom, and the guy's like, "No," which is it's very relatably New yeah. York. And um, goes into an alley. Um, and loses. then I'm sure you all know where this is going next, well, which is this is the they 80s, witness though. a murder. But in <laughs> fairness, this is like a very normal 80s high concept. Yes, like, it no, is. no, no, no. It's yeah, it's not it, everything From that happens in this other movie. Movies. Right, everything yeah. that happens in this movie is what Albert I expected. Wanders off, but and Doctor Weitzman witnesses a murder and gets and, hospitalized and yeah. gets 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 knocked out in the process yeah. of trying to get away. And so these four. You know, these four patients of the sanitarium who need psychiatric help are left to their own devices with like in Michael Keaton in New York City, Michael Keaton becoming the de facto leader. And they basically learn through a series of events what's happened to Dr. Weitzman, and then they have to conspire to save his life. And it's like James Remar and Phil Bosco are corrupt cops who yeah. are the ones who are like killing witnesses. And oh, now it's James Dr. Remar and the James Remar role. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And like uh, Weitzman is a witness. Hot. Yeah, I mean Remar <laughs> yeah. kind of always was Young like a little. Oh, he was smoking. Yes. Oh, Remar yeah. was was firing. Remar is even kind of a little stud in Oppenheimer for the one. Oh, he still looks know? good. Yeah, he still looks. Yeah, that great. Kyoto that uh, that Kyoto uh, honeymoon still. Yeah. Uh, Still popping off. The Lorraine Bracco character is like an ex of Billy Caulfield, who's Michael Keaton's character, and she's doing really good, reliable work. It's like, but once again, 
not unlike the clean and sober thing. It's like, what if there was a woman who existed only yeah. Yeah. <laughs> for the purposes of the male lead? Though though Lorraine is great, and this is like the a year or two and before uh, Goodfellas. The year before Goodfellas. Unfortunate haircut, but also fucking fire. It must oh, be fire. noted. Absolutely. Oh, my fire. Lord. Yeah. Amen. Amen. <laughs> and so basically that's, right, the movie. It's like there's a couple left turns, but essentially they have to get to the hospital and save their doctor before he yeah, gets killed. Yeah, and the by movie kind of becomes, uh, you know, it, it, it sort of takes the They're format. They're fugitives. Of, they get framed for it. Essentially, yeah. each of them find, you know, they break away at certain points, and you get the idea that each of them are starting to resolve whatever it was that kind of put them where they are yeah. in the first place. Right? Like Peter Boyle goes back to his agency. To like talk to an old coworker and like Lloyd goes back to his family. Yeah, yeah. Which is I, I, that that's like one of those moments where like the movie's so broad, but has these very specific moments that feel like like real re- dramatic, re- beats re- like that it's and, and to, like weirdly yeah. unexpectedly earned. Yeah. Like that scene in particular, I just was like, because you know Lloyd, he feels like he's just doing a broad thing, and he's good at he's great at that. But like that's the register he's moving in, and he just has a he has a scene with his wife, um, at one point where he like goes to where he used to live, and it's just like he doesn't even say much. It's like all in his eyes, and I just was like, oh fuck, he's great. Like it's like, it's a really he's probably I think the best performance in the movie. I think Lloyd. Yeah, I mean he's very yeah. memorable. I think you know this is I think what you're getting from Keaton is. This is a great of the four of these of our four B sides. This is the most like, hey, what was Michael Keaton like as an actor? And you're getting <laughs> sure. really like his sure. toolbox, like yeah, sure, because it's like, you know, I think you know, I I think it also it it closes out. It's eighty nine. It closes out his comedy decade. You know, like clean and sober and outlier. But this is really the last of like version one Michael Keaton before the well, 90s starts. Right. And he's a much different actor well, on the other side. I was going to say, because you're right, because 1990, he like he chooses to be the killer in Pacific Heights. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and, you know, Batman's more dramatic. And, and just the way that you think of Michael Keaton is you don't think of that live wire goofball in the same way. And, and this is his last full on comedy until Multiplicity, which is seven years later. So, like, yeah, he has a lot a of career in that period it's also the the goodbye to his glorious 80s mullet you know short know. Top, yeah. long in the back yeah. curly his, fa- fantastic he, t- he tightens it up no one said, really said pulled goodbye it off. to the 80s i mean i know that like seinfeld had a couple moments with it yeah speaking of I, yeah i had the thought during several of these movies i'm like what does this his style remind me of? It's like acid wash jeans, like sneakers, and like a button down shirt. I'm like, he's dressing like fucking Seinfeld. Yeah, in, in like Dream three Team, out of four in of Dream movies. Team specifically, though, he. It, I think it's also yeah, because I mean, it's you know, Dream Team era, is like but New York set. It feels like a Seinfeld episode almost, like and it's in the, no, the way, like yeah, in the way it definitely. plays out. Um, yeah, I don't know, like I, like a, like a season eight Seinfeld yes, episode. Yes, yeah, it's yeah, a little, yeah, getting the, a little broad. The barrel yeah. is yeah. nearing the bottom, <laughs> a little over you know. the top. Yeah, Larry David has left, and right, they're like, right. "Well, it's still kind of good." It's no, still I, I will I, say, I, I did think it was better than I expected. I same. thought this would be one that you just cringe all the way through, and I was like. 
This is actually like pretty fun. It's, you know, it's a little cuckoo's nest, like who's really the crazy ones here mixed with a like quick change. Like we're stuck yes. in New York City mixed very with the much. We Witnessed a Murder plot from like yeah, a very much other movies. It's funny you say that because Quick Change is literally the next year. The yeah. next year, yeah. Um, and and very, it's a very kind of a strong film. Uh, you could Bill almost. soul directing movie, yeah. You could almost feel too like he. I, like I wouldn't be surprised if like Bill Murray was offered this movie, right? Or something sure. like like, like sure. it, it it feels like that, or like the Peter Boyle character, you know something. No, I would even say the Keaton character because no, it's like sure. he feels I just mean, he feels like a Bill Murray. Wise you can ass. picture like, him, yeah. You can picture him in in you know. And actually, I guess you're right. Murray kind of didn't do. I guess you're right. Murray kind of was always kind of doing a version of Murray, I guess. He yeah, really this is do. the same same year as Ghostbusters 2 for him. So right, right. Like he it, was it, pretty... It feels of of a piece. Um, yeah, I mean, I liked it too. I think, yeah, like you guys are saying, I think you go into these movies, and I'd seen it before, but you still go into it being like, is this going to be like super offensive? And yeah, like, exactly. And it's, only like, and it's only like 15%. Yeah, yeah no, you know it's pretty like, good. It's, 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 yeah. It, I, yeah, that's I was kind of shocked by. Like I put it on, I watched it late at night, almost with the sole intention of like, all right, like let's just coast through this one and like do it. And I found myself like earnestly like, oh, yeah, I, like I, I like what's going on here. I will say I do think just in that very 80s way where – there were no bad ideas, so let's put them all in the movie. Like, you don't need the cops, you know? Like, there is a way that this mm -hmm. movie f just totally functions better without that B-plot. Like, you can find a way to take the doctor out of out of it. Or, well, that was, or just I have mean, in the doctor way... just lose them, right? And then what you cut back to is him looking for the right. Like that could be the other half, you know, like in a way, what that is, is it's the eighties version of today would be like, take an IP that no one cares about and then do your thing with it. That was yeah. like, well, sure. You can make that movie. Can you graft it onto one of these like preset yeah. like plot lines? Like maybe they witness a murder. Okay. Yeah. I guess so. You know, yeah. like, cause that's the hook that can get people, you know, through yeah, it, the otherwise, you know, it feels like movie. Yeah, like it feels like I something that would come out of an audience test or something where it's right. like or not even an audience test, but like it would come out of the data that's like harvested from audience tests yeah. where they'd be like, hey, audiences just react better if there's a murder. Like, you know, like, like the scores are 5% higher if there's corrupt cops involved and you're like, okay, I guess we got to figure that one out. Um, yeah, yeah, it feel it does um, feel a little extra. Yeah, the. The, the score is cheesy as hell, but I did think there were some great lines throughout. It's great to be young and insane. I wrote down. It was like, you know, there was like it was definitely better and, and aged better than I expected. Come, What does he say when he's there? He's on TV and they're like they've just been like processed or whatever. Come to New York, get arrested. Like it's like, <laughs> yeah, uh, something like that. It's great. Yeah, it's it's good. And it's to your point, Dan, it's like a good Keaton showcase. It's like a very he's not. He's not doing his best work with any of those tools here, but it is like a good just bullet list. Like of here like, are the tools. Yeah, yeah. What, Summation, what are the things he, yeah, up yeah, to that what, point. What are the things he can do? Um, so this isn't one of our B-sides, but like we mentioned, the next year, Pacific Heights. I he recommend makes, to anybody. I think that movie's Yeah, it's a fun movie. A He's fun. the villain. And I was re-watching it with uh, my wife a couple of nights ago, and it's like 
it's almost refreshing how quickly he's like immediately the villain. It's like, mm-hmm. yeah, he's basically a yuppie couple, Melanie Griffith and Matthew Modine. I won't go through the whole plot, but they basically overpay. They're like, they go outside of their budget range to buy this Victorian yeah. in San Francisco. And they convince themselves they're going to rent it to tenants to like cover the difference. And one of the tenants is a con man who's also a psychopath. And it's this guy named Carter Hayes, who is Michael Keaton. And like by minute 16, it's like, oh, this guy's a psychopath. You rented, you rented your, you rented this room to a psychopath. And like by minute 30, it's like, and now he has the upper hand and you're totally fucked. And it's like, I did appreciate to your point, uh, Corey, in a different way. If they make it now, it's like minute 40 that you get that reveal mm-hmm. where it's like, I did really appreciate how it was like, because then this back half of Pacific Heights becomes this totally different movie, which yeah. is like, I think way better. And you, but you need the first half to get there. Yeah. And it becomes this like really fun, like detective, not, not, there's not actually a detective, but like Melanie Griffith basically becomes the lead. And you're like, oh, this is great. Yeah. And, um, and Matthew Bodine, look, God bless him, but like graciously leaves the movie for a good long while, which thank God, because he is he, <laughs> that character, that whole movie. I was just like, I don't know. I think I dislike this guy more than Michael Keaton. He's like <laughs> so hard to like. He's like uh. freaking out on everybody. You're like, dude, you this is fully your fault this is a well because matthew modine also like embodies an well and yeah. and in a, in, in a in yeah and in, in a very deliberate way like just his whole look his whole vibe his voice that he, voice yeah it's tough uh it's a tough he, voice look. he embodies like the image of a person not look not dissimilar to some of us but the kind of person who'd like show up in a neighborhood and you go oh there goes the neighborhood like it's like 100 kind of right. thing so it's like per- he is perfectly cast in that and movie. I, I think the movie's about yeah, that true. and it's definitely part of the like fatal attraction single white female blank from hell he is the tenant yes. from hell and it's yeah, definitely yeah. a movie about gentrification and yeah. you know yeah, yuppies like a, and san francisco changing at that time and it's it's yeah there's like a carl lumbly you know carl lumbly who you'd know from alias he like is another potential tenant, but he's black. And it's like this very, you know, it's this charged scene between him and Melanie Griffith where she's very progressive. Modine, not as much, of course, right? And it's like, that stuff's, you know, it's there. It's not really explored, of course. Yeah. You know, I think for 1990, there might've been some nuance, it, maybe. Because it's, it's John Batum, it too much credit. right? John Schlesinger. Schlesinger, sorry. Yeah. You get the idea, and I'm, I might just be saying this because it's Modine and Griffith, and so I'm just thinking of Jonathan Demi, right? But, like, a Demi would have, like, better weaved all that stuff into the movie, right? Like, just to, I mean, well, I, sure. my yeah, shorthand sure. for saying, no, and nothing against Schlesinger, like, a, a decent workman director. I mean, but, Schlesinger, you know, Saturday Night Fever, I mean, a good. No, 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 I mean, good, a, good director. Yeah, I'm not yeah, trying to director, throw him under yeah. the bus or whatever. I'm just saying, like, yeah. Billy Liar, yeah. I mean, there are know. just other directors I think that maybe could have threaded that through a little. No, hundred percent. No, no. I yeah, hundred percent. The the interesting thing to me is just thinking about Batman eighty nine is this 
fucking phenomenon when it comes out. Uh, I would say there's almost no precedent, except right now, Barbie right. Sure. is right. doing the exact same thing, which is true. It, it's like when when Barbie is hitting a billion dollars and you're going out in the streets and seeing, you know, people wearing pink and just so excited for this thing. And the marketing is just fucking everywhere. I'm like, the last time I remember something hitting in this way was the Tim Burton Batman in that it was the... A character that had been around for everybody's lifetime, but had never been put on screen in this way. And so whether you were a Batman fan or a comic fan or not, it's like that fucking logo was everywhere and people were shaving it into the side of their heads and it was on Converse and you had to go. And similarly, like if you played with Barbies or didn't, like half of the population, at least if not more, have just got to go check this thing out. And you know what's what's funny? Michael Keaton has played Ken. He's, That's he's right a, in Toy pretty, Story Three. Pretty he's good. Correct. Pretty good, Ken. Actually, he's funny. Uh, Isn't very, that funny? Very funny. But um, you're so, forgetting so following... one. You're forgetting one phenomenon because we all grew up loving the Titanic ship. And that's then when absolutely. James Cameron was yeah. able to spin the Titanic ship. It's, it's a little bit different. I mean, certainly no, I it's, it's based on history. But think I'm about kidding. it being based on this character, this intellectual property, and just the marketing being so saturated that when it hits, it's like, it's almost this like, well, duh. Like, of course, everyone on Earth recognizes this character. Yes. I can't believe no one's done this before. And so by the time it comes, it's like the appetite for it is so huge. Well, not that dissimilarly, that's, you know, right? The last it's- 35 years of superhero movies are in the shadow of the Tim Burton yeah, the- Batman. Because the bat symbol is like the Nike logo of superheroes, right? It's like the most immediate. I mean, you or the, or the Superman emblem, right? Like those are the two... Just most immediately, yeah, totally. you, you could live under a literal rock, and it would come out. I think, I think out you could like, easily I, make the case the bat, the original, the 1989 Batman poster is the greatest movie poster in the history oh, yeah. of cinema. I mean, I don't I, know what else would it, even be. It, it was hanging over my bed in '89. because it's just the symbol. It's not. Yeah. What would, what would, but like, what would even be another one? I can't even think I mean, of another one. The Alien poster is great. Yeah, sure. It's just the yeah, egg, space, and then it says can space, 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 no one can hear you scream. That's right. a good one. That's, that's a great Yeah, yeah that's a good this one. This is just that's a, a simple. But, but the point being that, so, psych, so Michael psycho. Keaton is the title character and the lead, you know, with Jack Nicholson in this fucking world-dominating film. And it is so incredibly interesting to me that... Coming out of 10 years of being the fucking live wire Sam Rockwell, you know, in these comedies, that his pivot after that is to go into being this completely, you know, scary villain in Pacific Heights and then being this cop in One Good Cop. Yeah. It, well, it's, it's, he, he literally does both sides of the coin, right? It's literally yep. like he makes this, you know, very straightforward. Yeah. I mean, very straightforward B picture in which he's the villain. And then he, the next year, Haywood Gould, coming off the success of a cocktail, which he wrote, Haywood Gould writes and directs One Good Cop, him and Re- Michael Keaton, Rene Russo, uh, young Anthony LaPaglia, a um, lot of great lot Young of great Benjamin faces. Bratt. Yeah, I was going to say, a yeah. lot of great faces in this movie. Um, Rachel and, uh, uh, Ticotin, Ticotin, Ticotin yeah. from Total Ticotin, Recall, yeah. My Queen. 
<laughs> yeah, she's great. She's like uh she's like a third act twist in that in yeah. one good yeah. yeah, when yeah. in the in the fir- in the beginning of the movie I was like, wow, it's weird that she took this role after Total Recall and then once you learn a little bit more about the character, you go, "Oh, okay, now it makes sense." Yeah, she's in like, you know, the third cool scene in the movie. I you know, yeah. it's like um kind of I mean, well, one good cop. What a fucking weird movie this is. So Very weird. Yeah. Feels even at 92, 91 rather. The, the worst um, of the four, I thought. Sure. Yeah, because yeah. I mean, it doesn't I, yeah. all. I mean, like I was saying earlier, like part of the reason some of these movies work better than I expected is because they at least are tonally throwing so much at at the audience, right? So something's gonna stick, right? Whether it's like yeah. a little bit of the comedy, a little bit of the human element, a little bit of thriller stuff, whatever, whatever, like the police procedural, like. There are things that stick in this movie and things that work, but it's it's funny when I think about it as coming from the writer of Cocktail because Cocktail is a similar thing. Well, where it's and like, that's the thing. Cocktail, right, was an incredibly dark piece of work. Yes, yeah. That then got Disney-fied, but is still kind of dark. It's a very like, I dark was, movie. I was and- gonna say, I always think it's funny when people say that about Cocktail. Like, well, they kind of made it a, they made it like a kind of a rom-com. You're like, no. And- Oh, like, oh yes. you mean a rom-com where the alcoholic best friend slash mentor like, kills himself? Like, yeah, but spoilers, I mean, I yes. spoilers for cocktail. There, there is like a lot of scenes of just like Tommy getting it, you know, getting his and like Elizabeth Shue and like, you know, all that. But like, yeah, you're right. You're right. There's a manic kind of a nature to the way he writes that picture or how they adapt it. You know, obviously Donaldson directed it, but this one too it's like so you got keaton plays Artie lewis who's a nypd detective his partner is anthony lapaglia Lapaglia, he's a single dad the wife has passed away he's got three beautiful daughters and they're like always on a dangerous call and renee russo is is uh, michael keaton's wife they can't have kids and then pretty early on you pronounced her name wrong dan by the way i think it's a Awuga, Awuga, I think is her name. <laughs> Awuga. Um, it's true, very true. This is prime time. She's. Uh, that's just right me saying. Renee's firing on all cylinders in this. Movie. I mean, people that's don't all. realize Renee Russo was a big model, right, in her twenties. Yeah. Who like was so big that she just like had no other choice but to become a movie star. Yeah, right. Like and she's only made like 25 Yeah, movies. doesn't have a crazy long filmography. And Sorry, they're like keep, keep and, going. and like, you know, 14 of them are big big hits, right? You know, 3 of them are lethal weapon movies. Um anyway, so basically there's a hostage situation that goes wrong. All of these criminals are on ice. They're all on yeah. these drugs, right? And it's like this prevailing thing. They're all very violent. It's almost like it feels like halfway to dread, right? It's a little, a little like yeah. it's a little like it's like very, very a little like Max Payne almost or yeah. something. Like, it's like it's like yeah. very broken windows policy in New York. Yes, That's like the other definitely. part of this movie where yeah. it's like, well, you know how criminals are psychopaths and should be thrown in cages <laughs> yeah. and never talked about again. You're like, oh yeah, we all agree. We no, all this- agree. This whole movie feels like depraved it, 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 lunatics. It's got. It's like, did Rudy Giuliani produce this movie? No, before it's like he got, a, this movie is like if, a, the if something was directed by White Flight, right? Like that's oh. how this movie feels. Um, and so basically, early on, not really a spoiler. It's the premise of the movie. La Paglia gets killed by this kind of drugged up guy who's taking his family hostage, 
And all of a sudden, Rene Russo and uh, Michael Keaton have these three girls because yeah. Lepaglia's named his partner the kind of guardian of his three girls. I think while and, they're looking for foster care, well, right? So, so then it's you like get temporary. Yeah, well, that first. becomes the that becomes yeah. the the conflict where it's like. You have Vondi Curtis Hall, the great Vondi Curtis Hall, as a as a priest who's running a kind of a, a like a halfway house for kids essentially, and like that doesn't look like a good solution. But they have a shitty New York City apartment, so the kids can't live there, and social services would never let that happen. They don't have the money to buy a house. There's a particularly Oh, as anybody who's even dipped their toe in real estate, there's a very illuminating <laughs> scene where Michael Keaton is talking to Rene Russo and is like, <laughs> is like, we need at least $25,000 for broker's fee and you know, down payment for, and you're like, what? I was like, that's like to look at a house that you got to give someone 25000 I guess. <laughs> like, it's like in, in bad parts of Buffalo, I guess you <laughs> yeah, can do right, that or right. something. But, um, but so anyway, Essentially, what happens that I we don't need to spoil it. Keaton is forced into making some compromising moral decisions as a cop, doing some um, very bad things for very good to, reasons to support his family. Yeah. Yeah. Right, so it's you know to, to give the, title, the girls a, a place to live. Yeah. Right, so the title is obviously this knowing kind of a you know conflicted. What if thing. he wasn't a good though cop at all? <laughs> well, the 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 movie though. Not conflicted at all. No, yeah. <laughs> no. No, it's very the, the, the movie, movie is like this is a good I, cop. How I dare wrote, you even question yeah. him? Yeah. I wrote ending abhorrent question mark. <laughs> yeah, baffling, yeah, it's, boo no, worthy it's, in twenty twenty three. Yeah, like, no, it really Boo this man. Boo this man. Yeah, this it's yeah, I don't know. It's truly. I, I gotta well, say, first when I, I gotta got say, to the end of it, you hey, real quick because yeah. Corey, <laughs> Corey put it on his letterbox. I was like watching. I was like watching the end of the movie when I read Corey's. Because um, <laughs> I'd seen I'd seen the movie before. Yeah, and I had said to you guys when you when we chose this, I was kind of like, oh, I don't like that one. But if you want to do it, we can do it. And we'll also talk about Pacific Heights. You had blah, mentioned blah, blah. that this was boring. Which I which is which was which was wrong. Yeah, that it's feels a, baffling well, so, upon so, watching so, it now. Yeah. So yeah, so I, I'm I'm rewatching it and I'm kind of having this moment. I think I texted you guys or something, and I was like, "It's kind of good." I was like, "Was yeah, I just it, like having a bad day? Like, what did I? You know, it's like yeah. pretty good. Like to your point, Corey. Like Keaton's like, and for my next trick, I'm gonna play a conflicted cop. Be like, okay, this is new. This is yeah. interesting. Renee's great. I think she's actually very good. Their in the film. chemistry. The, their chemistry is incredible. Great. Yeah. yeah. I wish they'd made another movie together. Um, five. I wish they'd the made kids, five more movies. The together. kids are pretty good. Yeah. The oldest daughter has some like actually hard scenes and she kind of nails them. Like, I don't want to, you know, yeah. Child performances are hard. It's like pretty impressive, actually. And like, there's like an amazing amalgamation of like great faces, right? It's yeah. like, anyway. And then those last like 15 happen and I'm like, oh. Yeah. Right. <laughs> this thing. And it's like, I was like, I remember. <laughs> yeah. And I just was like, oh, yeah. 
I hate this movie. <laughs> it's also it's also structurally it takes a really long time to. It's like twenty five minutes from the end that it kind yeah. of even gets to the setup of the movie, and you're yeah, like, "Yeah, it's God a damn, well, the you've second, been winding through this, and yeah, you think this, it's going to turn into a like he's going to learn how to love these children, but they're just a device. Like they really yeah. don't spend any time with the kids. Like you get yeah. two scenes of them like, oh, we're at the carnival, or Renee kind of has them what, at home. It becomes about this moral conflict that he's kind of chosen and yet isn't really conflicted about because we don't even see him decide to do this thing which he does to get the money yeah he just kind of one scene like happens he's just doing and you also get the impression what i really don't like about it and 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 i feel like this is very apropos of the time you get the impression there's like a firefight at the end of the movie with rachel ticketon as we talked about and like it's a pretty cool scene, actually. Somebody gets stabbed with a sword, which is insane. Yeah, crazy. And um, if somebody must have been on ice when they wrote that, probably <laughs> really nice. Yeah. What what you literally, I think, have to to conclude is like if that didn't happen, he would have not told anybody about what he did, and he would never have felt bad about it. So at the end of the movie, where he's like going to be the bigger man and confess his crimes. You're like, bitch, no, you got caught. Like, you well, know you're going to get caught. He does, because there is a scene, and again, I don't want to spoil it, but there is a scene where you get the idea that they are going to get him for what he does. No, but that's what, before I'm, what I'm saying. Happens. Uh, no, but my, my point is like, so you're saying you by that metric you're saying he would have confessed no matter what they would have, my, they would have caught him no matter what my, my I guess point. my yeah. my point is like it doesn't he does Corey kind of said this already he doesn't have a moment where he's like I guess he like for a second in the car he's like what have I done but it's like not really there, there's really, really no like he there's no guilt we, we, don't, we don't see him conflicted about deciding to do it yeah, like it's exactly. his last resort it's literally no, just the next scene is like everything boom, feels, he's doing this thing everything <laughs> feels reflexive here in a way that like yeah it's not great writing it's, and it's hey, all the, wood. it's hey, all wood. the stuff no, it is it's, really not good writing it's all the stuff that it's all the stuff that you know a movie like copland a few years later is just gonna pounce on right just like the boys club mentality of law enforcement and all that stuff and i wrote down for this i I called it mr mom comma bad lieutenant yeah it's a little (laughs) but it's but what's amen it's it i mean that is like the melding of the two things but it is wild because like yeah i would just much rather watch the family drama part of this like because again he and renee russo have such great chemistry all of their scenes together i think are really well rendered it's it's true it's where the movie is the best but to your point dan they just kind of like get the hang of it. You know what I mean? Like it's, there's well, no, you don't even, well, you don't even see that though. Yeah. It's that, like, that's what it, I'm it's saying. Like they like, yeah. Montage. It's no, no, like, no, no, it's but like it just, very much like, it just cuts to, it's like, I guess they're yeah. handling, I guess they're good. New parents yeah. to three kids. Well, and it, look, not like, to, pretty look, well. Not to, <laughs> not to keep, not to keep, you know, piling on the, the eighties and nineties of it all. But in terms of the yuppie culture nature of it, you know, to bring it back to Pacific Heights and whatever, it's like, you know, the thesis of the movie or the, not even the thesis, the like conclusion is like, well, all you need is a, all you need is a house. Right. 
you know, go get yourself the and, house. A, and a family and like a family unit. Like it's very, you know, it's, it's yeah. like very Clinton liberal, like very kind of post HW. Like we're all figuring it out. You want a house, get a house. You should get a house. Like the rates are low. Taxes are low. Right. Get a house. Like, but what's funny is they even just, they get a house by the most like underhanded Illegal, means yeah, possible, yeah. which is the other crazy part. But like, and there's just so many things about cops in this movie that it's, it's such a fascinating, you know, to your point, Corey, like, the whole the presumption of the movie of like as we all know cops take care of each other and isn't that great right it to like, now like your first instinct is like these fucking yeah. motherfuckers <laughs> right you're just like yeah. they've been doing this shit since they were started and spoiler alert they were the Ku Klux Klan when it started. Read about it. Read a book. I'm just going to tell you that in the 1800s anyway. And um, it's just like, it's so different. It's 30 years. It's like so yeah. funny. If you made this movie now, it would be like, well, as you know, the Michael Keaton character becomes the villain. And, <laughs> that's you know, that's the weirdest Russo part. And everything, like... <laughs> everything that's in the movie doesn't feel like a lie. It's the lens through which the movie is portraying right. it that feels insane. Like, and 100%. it's like, for me, the same thing is like, clean it sober. It's like the poster of him and the title. It's like, I thought it was an ironic, like, he's not yeah. really a good cop. Like, I thought that was the whole thing is he's continuing in that Pacific Heights zone. So it's like the ending kind of undermines it but the the other thing i was thinking is just like the whole movie feels a little like out of time whereas like the cheese music feels like a 70s melodrama like it doesn't yeah. feel like 91 like it feels more like an 80s movie than a 90s movie like point break came out the same year that feels very 1991 and like plugged sure. into the music like and fashion and style yeah. and, yeah. and I this think part feels of so that... much more like leftover from the previous decade of just like, I, like you, know. you know who you know who would have starred in this movie and probably carried it maybe like more handsomely let's say to use an older word like kirk douglas you know right like, like but if it was you know, made in like like you know he made this movie whatever, yeah. like i kept thinking about this movie and it's a better movie that he made i think in, literally in 1950 called detective story which is a very sure, good yeah, movie based yeah. on a pretty famous play but it's like the the issues in that film are like really hard to wrestle with now but super interesting movie super of a time super strong lead performance and i think one good cop just isn't good enough for that but in its but in its way in its way it is a capsule of a moment which i think is interesting enough you know it's like not as juicy and fun as pacific heights it's not as funny no. as dream team and it's just not as good in terms of just like effective as clean and sober right so it certainly is you know and it's not you know we'll obviously be finished with my life um which i do think my life kind of runs into some similar problems though um I think we have two fathers are on this podcast. So right. I think it's hard to, my life is one of those movies. We'll get into it. Like, I don't even know if I should like rate it on letterbox. Cause it's like <laughs> just a single it almost drop. feels like yeah. I'm just kind of like, well, I barely finished it. Cause I was weeping <laughs> yeah. for 20 minutes and like just thinking about my sons and being like, 
Penis pe- I need to be around. I should start recording videos on my iPhone and Whereas saving Connor them to the cloud. Rated it the funniest movie of the nineties. It's like, what's right. up, dude? Can Connor, I- <laughs> Connor Letters, he said, "I hate children." Yeah, yeah, I did. I did. I did. I I do want to just before we jump off of one good cop. Yeah, I didn't mean to I, pivot. I no, was, no, 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 no. Yeah. It's fine. We can pivot. But I do want to call out. Uh, this is the other thing of like the movie having a different opinion of the things that happen in the movie. Cause they're like Anthony LaPaglia. Like he was one of the good ones. Anthony LaPaglia seems like a fucking terrible cop in this movie. Like, and I don't even just mean, I don't even just mean morally. Like I'm not even like, let's morals aside, right? Like corruptibility, whatever, all that aside, he gets killed in the movie. He's a jumpy cop. He's He's a, because he's, seems bad at his job right yeah. and like the movie i guess kind of tries to tee up that he is just compromised right because he's a rel it seems like a relatively new widow widow yeah and, and the so, wife, so the, the guy has the the hostage taker has his wife at gunpoint and, and there's you, a kid in the yeah. room as well right and so lapaglia it's is, a pretty he's gonna kill a, the wife it's he's a gonna pretty kill the wife. good yeah. scene in terms of the way it's set up because they're like they're both at the door keaton's kind of negotiating his way through it and it's it's well rendered because they they inch their way forward they you know the guy goes into the other room he's high on ice right and he goes into the other room and they make their way into the kitchen, so they get a little closer. And the Paglia becomes convinced, like, "Oh, he's gonna shoot! He's gonna shoot his wife! He's gonna shoot his wife!" Whereas, like, Keaton is aware of the scene we have all been watching, where it's like, "No, it does seem like they're like making progress with this guy, right?" Like, where Keaton's like, "No, no, no, we got him. He'll, it's okay, right?" And the Paglia just kind of, again, like you said, Dan, just gets jumpy, runs into the other room, and Keaton goes in after him, and he has gotten shot in the head. Yeah, the Paglia gets a bowl full of. To live and die in LA. He yeah, gets, he gets yes. William Peterson. It's, You're like, bro. It's oh, sad. Okay. It's sad, obviously, for all the reasons the movie paints. It's I, sad. I think what Connor you're saying is, yes, he deserved to die, and I hope he burns <laughs> in hell. Is that am I paraphrasing? Five like, percent? A little. Like I'm kind of like it's it's more of like just one of those the fuck did you think was gonna happen? Like like yeah, just one yeah. of those, like, I don't know if I can feel bad. I can feel bad about the situation as an audience member, but it's a little harder to swallow where you're like, well, he also was a fucking idiot. Like, I don't really eh, like, so I was that I, and again, I think this all just ties into the thing of the movie, not being aware of like the actual characters that it's putting in front of you. Right. Because like, I honestly think it would be a more interesting movie if Keaton acknowledged, like, instead of just being like, oh, he was such a good guy and the best guy and the best cop. It would almost be better if he acknowledged, like, I am now saddled with his kids all because he was a he fucking idiot, yeah, right. right? Like, that's a way more interesting thing Yeah, the to movie me. just like, lacks all of those scenes. I nuance. mean, that's just The movie lacks nuance, yeah. right? Nuance. Like it's, yeah. Right. Uh, yeah, yeah the, uh, the, I wrote down one Rene Russo line, which she was saddled with, which was... It's like I have a second chance and I'm going to lose him again. It's just like no subtext. Let's just yeah, write it in right. the dialogue. We will have the actors say and it. And I the, think, yeah, it's not, not it's not like cheesy or campy enough. It doesn't have enough like style for me to allow those things to, right? Where I'm just like, yeah, okay, fuck the script. It's like got good vibes, quote unquote, or whatever, right? Like it doesn't really have that. I, I agree. I think it's definitely the worst of the four Although oh, yeah. I, like I said, I better than I expected because I think 
like we talked about Dan, like when you teed it up, you were like, Oh, it's kind of boring. And like, it's definitely not a boring movie. Like I was fully, engaged, yeah, yeah. fully was engaged hap- with it. Happily wrong on that. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it's always nice to see Renee. So, you know, I would say, so, you know, can maybe I, can watch I, it. Can if I you pause, want. Can I pause it a question as we go into our final movie here? So sure. my life, right. Which is the Bruce Joel Rubin movie. It's kind of his cash in after winning an Oscar for writing ghost. Right. Oh, damn. So is this like the most because this does happen sometimes. Is this the most like culturally referenced slash made fun of thing that nobody actually like knows what the source code is? Do you know what I'm talking about? Like like the like dying person makes a video for his unborn child thing. I I only know it from this. And and not even from this movie, which I saw once on video when it came out, but from the trailer, which was on a different VHS that I owned and watched hundreds of times. This is what I'm saying. This is the source code of that joke. But like how many people have Have seen this movie? Yeah. Yeah. It's a funny thing to think about, like sociologically of like sometimes like premises like live on right, but the sure. but the movies kind of are like and it made like 20 million dollars like it, it didn't cost that much it wasn't like a you know catastrophic bomb you know it was like you know young star nicole kidman established star you know kind of spoiler alert fading star whether or not anybody knew that at the time you know michael keaton so it's like you know the type of movie studios used to make where it's like, this will not make a lot of money, but we want to make this movie and you know, it, it'll probably sell some VHSs, whatever. Right. So totally respectable. Produced but by like, Jerry Zucker. Yeah. Who, did, well, who well, directed yeah. ghost, right? Cause ghost. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, right. The, this yeah, 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 this yeah. is the, this is the, like, I would like to make this movie. We just made the biggest movie of 1990. A oh yeah. Check, go make if your, you will. You know, and he dedicates the movie to his mother, I believe. Right. So, yeah, it's a very it seems like a very personal picture. So basically, this movie really quickly is this guy named Bob Jones, Michael Keaton, scene one. He's recording videos on a camcorder, like an early 90s camcorder because he's learned he has a cancer that's progressed to the point where he's terminal. He's going to die soon. We find out his young wife, Nicole Kidman, is pregnant with their son. And he's been told by more than one doctor he's not going to live to see the son born. And he is of Polish descent from Detroit. And he has this Ukrainian. whole, or is it Ukrainian? Ukrainian. Ukrainian. Yeah. I apologize. He's of Ukrainian descent and he changed his name and he's got this complicated relationship with his family. He runs a, a PR pretty, firm in LA. Yeah, he's kind he's of like, a slick, yeah, he's an LA yeah. slick PR Reinvented guy. himself. Yeah. He, there's a pretty powerful opening scene to when he's a kid, I actually thought, where. He and I thought this was like that's, a great actually. That's so funny I wrote this down. I, I, was like, I went the other way on it. But oh, see, okay, keep going, but, keep going. But this is where this might be like a father's no father's thing because I had this thought of like that would be exactly what a kid would do. So he, this young kid, Brian Michael mm. Keane's character, Bob rather, he um when he's a kid in the sixties, right? Yeah, way back when he's told like many kids are told if you wish upon a star right your dreams will come true it's a freaking disney song right it's like freaking it's in dumbo isn't that yeah, isn't that, yeah. or it's pinocchio it's pinocchio. Pinocchio, anyway, pinocchio so whatever so i was going to connect dumbo starring michael keaton yes anyway, anyway 
So he makes a wish for a circus in his backyard. And then the next day at school, he like tells his whole class, come to my house. There's going to be, I wish for a circus. There's going to be a circus in my backyard. And then like they all go. And of course there's no circus. And he's like downtrodden, which his is mom's like pissed. Yeah. Yeah. And the dad is confused. And it's like, a, I think a really great, that 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 must have happened to my point is that that must have happened to Bruce. No, no, I think a lot of right? it, a lot of this movie and if an effect of a lot of that stuff, what you're talking about, like it must have happened is I, this movie does feel deeply felt. Right. Like it there is an earnestness, not just in the emotions that it's trying to convey to an audience or how it feels about them, but in earnestness and actual where like it feels. Yeah, like it. some of it came from a like a very real place that scene i i don't i didn't mind it but it the minute you hear the music and the minute the the movie opens on young bob saying like star bright star like that's the opening line of the movie and he's like looking up at the north star or whatever right and immediately my brain was like okay i know what fucking movie i'm watching like i know what this is and yeah. what i like about this movie is it's not entirely that movie, right? Like it's got this movie's got a little bit more up its sleeve than than like that opening scene. Well, and I think a suggest. lot of that is credit to Keaton. Yes, I think this is actually absolutely. a very interesting performance because I yeah. think the coolest thing about this movie, which I honestly I had never seen this movie all the way through, is this guy's been told he's dying. He's got a kid in the way and he like realizes he's like, he's totally uninteresting and doesn't know himself at all. Yeah. And I will say when that happens and it's like very early on, I was a little like, Oh shit. No, same. That's where this movie kind of guys. Like, I, I was a little guys. like, <laughs> uh, Michael I Keaton. was like, I don't want to like look inward too much. I think the court's yeah. about to do this, but I was like, I was like looking around and be like, do I, yeah, no, I related. So... I related a little too hard to this um, movie. Yeah, guys, pretty... uh, Michael Keaton was 41 years old when he was filming this movie, and I <laughs> regret to inform you that I am now currently the same 41. age as Michael Keaton. <laughs> um, as I mentioned, I saw this one time on VHS when it came out, so that was 30 years ago when I was. 11 years old because i had seen the trailer so and you were many like, times well, i'm never gonna die i'm 11 i'm never <laughs> gonna I was die like, this is stupid i've gotta watch yeah. this movie and just trying to think today of like the equivalent of like what it would take for an 11 year old to watch a movie like this like i cannot even <laughs> would have to start like it would have to start it would have to start like taylor swift or like a youtube but that star was, yeah like, i mean that was part of no I you'd mean, have like to faults. sit that 11 year old down and be like your dead dad made this movie for you that's the oh only way like, yeah, yeah, or like that's fault in our stars like have to be based on a bestseller type thing but like to star right. a 40 year old man and have an 11 year old be like i gotta see this shit and that's Batman's part of in the, this yeah. exactly is for me that was Batman. And so I had yeah. to fucking see this. This was the year after Batman Returns. And I watched this movie. And Dan, it kind of like you were saying, I actually did see it one time. So I'm, I'm not really the category of like, I'm aware of the premise, but I haven't seen it. But what I am is I'm like, I did not realize that this like, this movie that I saw one time has basically stayed with me for 30 years. Like it has subconsciously incepted this idea of when I became a father six years ago, this kind of idea of like, 
oh my God, if, you know, knock on wood, something were to happen to me, it's not that I wouldn't just get to see my kids grow up. It's that they wouldn't, you know, like I wouldn't get to speak to them. And so like constantly turning over this idea of like, should I write something? Should I leave something behind? Something as a just in case yeah. so that yeah. there's something there. And it's literally the, the entire mark of this fucking movie you well, know, you know what this, that I had this not mo- revisited until today. Um, this that movie has stayed is like with me. Yeah, this movie is like the inverse of the one scene in Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, which mm. similarly has stuck with me my whole life where Indy goes over the cliff and Sean Connery, his father, there's like a moment where he's like, he obviously thinks Indy has died. And he's like, I never, I like, never told him anything. I never, yeah. I never told him five, anything. Five minutes would have been enough. Five minutes would have been enough. Yeah. I, that, that moment I've written short scripts <laughs> like about like that, the ghost yeah. of a dad, like five minutes. Like, what would you say if you had five minutes with your dead dad? Like, but like, cause that shit, I still haunts sure. me. And like, oh. now that I have kids, it's like, and you, Corey, as you're saying, it's like when you have, oh man, these little fucking kids. It's like when you have these kids, it's like when you have a kid just named gives, Noah. I mean, oh, it's just yeah, yeah. as we've only the everything, only everything the gets everything gets underlined in no, this like I, very um, intense way. I will say, no, I just want I just want real quick, just as a credit to this movie and the person among us who does not have kids. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The kid stuff was like knocking me off my feet, yeah. and like, th- like, which is to say, obviously, it would affect you guys because you can directly relate. But like, that stuff is like so potent in this movie that like I was watching it, and I'm like, oh man, yeah, that. So that's what that feels like. Like you know, like I, it. It's I thought insane. this movie was so well directed. I can't believe he never made another movie. I'm thinking of the close-ups of the feet and the hands. Oh my, oh my god! Of the which seems Malick type shit. Exactly. Yeah. It seems like such a small detail that you'd be like, "This is nothing." Yeah. In the moment, you're like, "I was." This is. I was. I had to literally catch my breath. I was. There's the. There's a close-up later in the movie. Mm. It's af- I mean, we're kind of half spoiling it because part it's of the okay. I think it's okay part of the part week, of yeah. the semi dramatic tension of the movie is like is Keaton gonna die before the baby's born? And, well, and so, I, and so well, I did not well, remember in my memory he, when I described it to my wife yeah. before I put it on was like here's the premise is he's leaving these tapes for his child who he will yeah, not who meet. Me and I never so that know. was yeah, how never I had remembered it. Yeah. yeah. So. Real quick, he's he's leaving these tapes for his kid, and then he basically uh, a big part of the movie is he's going to all these different doctors, and he goes to this Eastern doctor, right? And it becomes this thing about holistic like healing, where where it's yeah. like you got to heal yourself, but from the inside, and it's not about the physical pain; it's about the trauma, it's about your hate, it's about all these things. So the movie becomes really like very self helpy in that way of like, you know, heal your pain in here. And it will help your pain elsewhere. Right? And, they, Which and, they, look, and the healer basically explains like this end part, how you go out is what will matter like through eternity. Basically, yes. it's like your whole life, like, don't worry about that stuff. Worry about the end. And if you it, find your yeah. peace now, like that's the right. part that you carry with you onto the next life. And I, and I think what's important, you know, and there's some maybe not great scenes in terms of how the doctors represented, though. I don't know. How yeah, that, that was is. the I, stuff. That was the stuff I had. Yeah, there's a little bit of there's a little bit of, you know, it's it's a little rusty in that respect, but I would say 
There's like a bit of almost magical realism to the sure. to the Asian what, doctor, we'll say. What, and it's what I would say is the little he basically kind of finally makes another wish, a prayer, where he's like, please just let me live long enough to see my son, like to see the birth of my son, right? So that becomes this kind of ticking clock in the back half of this movie. And I just think, you know, it's one of these movies that's easy to ridicule. And as we said, it's been made fun of in the premise itself. Other people have made movies where there's like a comical bent to it, right? Totally get it. Totally understand. And I think what I think is, and this I feel like happens more than we realize with these types of movies. Like, Connor, you said it was it was it was extremely well felt. And I think think that's kind of the thing with this stuff, right? It's like some of these movies age in a way where you're like, yeah, well, this is kind of pretty close, yeah. right? You're like, you're like watching it and you're like, he's an uninteresting guy. Like, yeah, yeah. that's right. kind of it's, a brave, that, that's kind of a brave, like, honestly, it's kind of a brave fucking, right. like, that's the and thing. Like, it's, angle. It's like, weird casting Keaton as this, like, empty PR suit because you're like, yeah. well, he's so much more interesting than that. Like, even in the videos, like, he's so much funnier he's funny. and livelier but that's, than the, the way but that's all sort of the sneaky best part of the performance, him. right, yeah. is that... And yeah, the this, videos are good. Yeah. I, I want to bring something up because I I cure. I feel like you guys are going to disagree with me, and you're I don't dying. even. You're dying. I am you're dying. dying. <laughs> you are dying. Uh, I disagree. I, no, but the thing that fucked me up with this movie is I just have been thinking a lot about death lately, just for <laughs> various reasons, and so there are just a lot of moments where I was like, fuck. Like I don't know. It just I don't know. This movie kind of fucked me. Up. It kind of fucked me up a little bit. But I, That's I literally, funny, I literally <laughs> just finished it before we started recording and i was just like oh god okay like okay let's get ready to t- tell jokes um but <laughs> did no, we but all weep the, three for three right yo, oh yeah ab- no, yeah I, okay yeah t- multiple times like yes. multiple times I, I it took me so it took me cheek yeah. <laughs> it took me days to finish this movie. I'm like days. trying to not cry a little bit yeah. while we talk about it. Like, it took but, me days uh, to finish the movie. But no, one thing I'd be curious to know how you guys feel about this because I do think I'm more engaged with the movie in the let's call them found footage moments of. I know it's not found footage, but the the POV video itself. Yeah, yeah. yeah, that I'm the most engaged with the movie there. And I'm curious to know how this movie plays or how it feels if that if what you are watching is the thing that gets made. Right. As opposed to the making of the thing. And I think there's a way to do that. I think that's totally I think I think that's probably I would argue a more overall collectively as a whole formally better movie, Um, because I do think that's one of the problems with this movie i think it's just like a little inconsistent with even some of the good formal work that it wants to do because like we were talking about there are these like when the baby's born and he's starting to like hyper focus on the little details there are these like macro shots of hands and feet and like and it it just the breathtaking and the, even even the stuff in the healer's office just like a relatively quote-unquote normal scene but that's like you know, you've got like golden hour Los Angeles out the window. And I, I even had a little rant to, to Brittany while I was watching it where, you know, I, I do this regularly uh, and she puts up with it cause she's great, but just like a 
Fuck, even our middle of the road 1993 movies looked fucking stellar, oh, yeah. right? Totally. Oh, yeah. And yeah. this movie looks great. Like I said, I think it's a little inconsistent with the way that it looks. Um, and I think, you know, what you would lose, which I think is valuable, is, you know, Kidman, I think, gets just barely enough to do in this movie. Um, but I do think what is in the most interesting about her character is just the notion of the fact that Keaton is more alive in these tapings than he is outside of them. Mm -hmm. Right. Like right. he is more he's on. Right. And like you get the idea that's the same dude that's probably in pitch meetings. And I mean, he's not an advertiser, but you know what I mean? Like. You, you get the idea that that's how he kind of operates out in the world with clients and what's made him a huge success. And so she has this moment, you know, because they've both clearly conceded the fact that he is going to die from Jump Street. And so I do like the notion that she's just like, I would also like to, you know, know you, know you and like be with you while you're still alive, you know, and like, yeah. I think she, she basically a, finds the videos, which he yeah. has not told her that he is making, you know, because he's come up with this plan. And she which, kind of basically just, pleads to him, like, you can talk to me, like, let me be with you. And, and that, from that feels point, it's yeah. funny yeah. because that feels like the lower drama, more honest version where a lesser version of this movie would be like he's found out he has cancer and she doesn't know. And that's the like emotional that's the emotional secret, right? But what I love about this movie is all of the normal cancer, weepy, high drama stuff, not all of it, but a lot of it is sort of not dispensed with, but put on the table from like minute one or two, right? And everything else just allows, you know, room to just explore the minutia of what this would actually be be like potentially to process and, and going an through the like stages this. yeah of, yeah you know uh he has uh denial and anger and acceptance and, and right. all of these things and i i love it kind of as you're saying is like some of the smart things about the structure of this is like a much more conventional movie which i would have expected this to be would have had him going about his life and getting the news. Whereas this movie, yeah. six minutes in, you're getting the direct address to camera that lays out that this is already happening and progressing and that's it. So you're skipping the big dramatic. And it's like, that's a, how the movie started. Like, you know, like, <laughs> and now I get this diagnosis. It's yeah. like, no, no, no. He's already making the tapes and you are catching up at that point. And I think that yeah. I thought that was so cool and admirable. Um, and I thought, you know, again, as we were saying for clean and sober, it's like, I was surprised. I was ready to be emotionally pummeled by this. I was caught off guard by how funny it was. Again, how human it was, how it isn't just wallowing in one emotion, playing one note over and over, but that it yeah, is right. allowing room for him to, you know, make the joke about the answering machine or about the Chinese healer or, you know, like things like that where um, I, yeah, I was, I was surprised at how well and, and how, how different this was to even how I had kind of remembered it, where I just thought, oh, this is going to be a full on weepy and just totally punishing from minute one. And it's again, it's got that like James L. Brooksian humanism to it, where yeah. it's it is, you know, terms of endearment. It's sad, but it's also the other parts of life, too. And um, 
and yeah. which makes the sad parts sadder. Right. Like, that's exactly. The best part. Like that when it does get weepy, it feels earned. Right. And you're exactly. just like, you know, I, uh, yeah, I don't know. I was really just caught off guard. Very like I, and, and again, I think like, I don't like the opening as much as you do, Dan, but I'm almost glad it's there. Cause it sort of helps with that almost like it, it does feel like this little magic trick of you're like, okay, I, I know what this movie is like, okay. And then the minute you get the direct address, you know, uh, five minutes later, right after that opening flashback sequence. Um, well, and I think, I mean, there, you know, there's, it's interesting even his whole relationship with his father, right? right? Where it's basically like he was a good man who just worked a lot. Yeah. You know, that's like an interesting thing with just, you know, as Life. a son. <laughs> sure. And then when you become a father, like. And generationally like and they're immigrants. It's like hard. And, you know, I think but he's like, supposed to be a Jewish Ukrainian, right? Family. Sure, yeah, it's not. As a Jew. Yeah. It's like, okay, that's interesting. But, um, <laughs> but it's just like, it's just really i think it's deeply you're like yeah i mean like everybody has shit with their with their people like you know it's and it's very like the movie is its own inflection point of like okay so then what would you do right in that and so look it's all very heightened because that you know that's what you know the plot demands and i think i can totally understand rejecting it on those grounds so it's like like we're saying i think it all affected us and i i was i really went in being like it's gonna make me cry and i'm gonna be rolling my eyes when it does Mm -hmm. and i and i was like almost like you were saying with like the dream team con or whatever i wasn't rolling my eyes and i think that's kind of the difference right it's like i was affected and yeah it, i was I like five percent rolling my eyes at like right a hand a couple of sure, scenes sure. but yeah but like but, i didn't feel baited by the end i yeah, didn't agreed. feel tricked agreed. i didn't feel bamboozled it was like look, it wasn't trying is... to sell you one good cop when there wasn't one you know oh, yeah when there was no good cops maybe like one benjamin brat okay Who also cop. kind of you know what he is a little brat a little He's a little, cop. little bit of a brat um, but yeah, man, I just think, I mean, yeah, I don't, it's like very, I, yeah, like we, like we alluded to, like, like we alluded to early, like when you get to points in your life, which, you know, I might, I maybe had in my own life where I'm kind of very much taking stock and like, Hey, where am I right now with like everything I've done? Yeah. I yeah, think you're sure. very much like, huh, this didn't really go the way that I thought it was going <laughs> to or, or even, Or even just that, like, even getting the fucking alarming moment. And I think about this. I think about this a lot. And I don't, I, I always feel dumb admitting that, like, tweets have ingrained themselves as, like, nuggets of wisdom. But whatever. It's the day and age that we live in. Um, somebody at one point on the internet yelled out, you know, Liking things is not a personality, right? Yeah. And I think about that shit all the time because it's just like, I don't know, when people ask me what I'm up to, what I'm doing, I'm like, yeah, I'm like watching movies and I, lo- I like movies. I don't, you know, like it's and it does. You have that moment where you're like, oh, God, am I like 
Am I made of nothing? Am I made of literally <laughs> nothing? <laughs> like it's like, what will people yeah. say? When it's very, it's, over it's a moment yeah. that's rendered in a different, to a different conclusion, but in a similarly effective and well portrayed way. It reminded me a lot. The moment where he's looking at the testimonials that his like intern or whoever is like right. shooting for him, which I loved. That was yeah. like a great little beat. Yeah, that was a funny, great, it's effective a, it's a moment. whole great yeah. little beat. And that's kind of where this part of it that's like the trigger right like that scene because people are like yeah. i don't there's like not really a lot yeah he's i don't really know him. Yeah. and the things yeah. that keaton does rattle off to the screen where he's like come on this and this why aren't they saying this they're all superficial it's like sports movies he like likes the all, raiders yeah, yeah it's right like, it's yeah. like all that stuff right not real human characteristics right and so that's sort of the trigger for all of it but it it reminded me a lot and similar I think a director who makes a lot of things like this might have even maybe directed a slightly better version of this movie, if I could posit it. But it reminded me a lot of Jerry Maguire and Cameron Crowe. And it mm. reminded me specifically about the scene in Jerry Maguire where he's like at his bachelor party. Totally. And he's like watching the tape of all the exes and just the women in his life were like, Jerry, this, this. And he's just like, everyone else is like, yeah, well, isn't that funny? And he's just kind of like, oh, God, it's fucking I'm like learning things about myself as well, I watch he's, it. You know? I mean, the great thing about that scene is he's like, "Oh, do I suck?" It's a different concludes. It's a different conclusion, but like a similar moment of reckoning where you're just like, "I mean, the, the I thought I had more to me, but maybe not." Well, right. The, also, the, James the, L. Brooks, right, produced yes. Jeremy Maguire. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I was going to say th to that point, the closest I think we got to my life in any kind of big Hollywood way is Funny People. Right? Sure. Because sure. Funny People is literally Apatow making one of his many James L. Brooks esque movies. And it's very much like minute 10, Adam Sandler's playing an Adam Sandler type and he's dying. And yeah. it's like, there's no video necessarily. There are like some video elements, but it's like, you know, he's trying to, you know, what have I Grapple done? Grapple with, yeah. What can I still do? And obviously that movie goes way different directions, probably to the fault of that movie, honestly, but some people love it and that's fine. Um, but like, it's definitely an interesting starting point for a movie and it's provocative. And I think it allows in its heightened state to make much with a normal life. And I think that on its face is interesting and, you know, worth talking about. So I think like, even you can tell for just from this discussion, like, if you're willing to engage with it, whether you like it or not, you might find yourself. I think people bristle think at you, it in the if mirror. If you're listening you know. to this podcast, I think you'll like it. Uh, I, I think, I, you know, yeah, as, I think so. as far as movies about confronting your mortality goes, you know, some people would say Ikiru or Citizen Kane, <laughs> but not me. I <laughs> The movies that <laughs> taught me life. about death yeah. were Jenny and Forrest Gump and My Life, and those are the ones <laughs> well, you know, it's a good point, that had actually. me staring into the abyss and really thinking, oh, this is it. And uh, 30 you know, years later, funny. to revisit and go, wow, this, yeah. this, is, this is definitely hitting a chord. I'm glad you mentioned Akira because actually we should mention it because that's yeah. when we talk about source code. I mean, that's like deeply, you know, obviously one of the one of our great films and and similar, not not. But it's, you know, there is a impending doom. What have I done with my life? You know, it recently just last year got remade as the movie Living, which Bill Nye got nominated for, which is also a very powerful film. Kazuo Ishiguro uh, uh, wrote that movie. And so like. Like we said, I mean, it's been done and it's effective. And I think this one, 
works in its own way. And I, I think, think Keaton, the difference Keaton is really good in this movie. He's I think he's yes. great. I think this is like maybe like a top five Keaton like this well, or and clean it's and funny sober. That this same year he does he's Dogberry in uh in Much Ado, which is also, also like a, yeah. a manic, crazy, to, totally different. To bring it around yeah. to two things that Dan mentioned at the very beginning of this conversation is in this movie is that he's such an interesting actor. You mentioned Sam Rockwell, the person that popped into my head who we've spoken about before is Nick Cage is that even in this era when he's playing a sure. buttoned up quote normal guy, you know, there's a more interesting guy peeking out when he's like doing the physical bits or spitting out the milkshake sure. or doing things where you're going even in this dramatic role, it's like you just know that Keaton is more interesting the same way even when Nick Cage was playing it straight, you know, in this era, you know, it could happen to you or the family man or what have you. It's like there were the moments where the live wire kind of peaked out. And then the one other thing that um, Dan had mentioned um, at the beginning of this uh, or we had spoken about was the basically Hank's first Keaton thing. And so in the same year, right, 93, Hank's is dying of cancer, right, or, or AIDS in well, Philadelphia. AIDS, AIDS. Yeah, it AIDS right. in Philadelphia. And so Keaton is dying of cancer in this. And this is their 93, you know, where, <laughs> sure. where Hanks has the back-to-back -back sleepless in Seattle, Philadelphia, boom, supernova. And this is kind of Keaton wrapping up his run as Batman and doing some different stuff and, and kind of getting quiet for a while. Yeah. I mean, Philadelphia and then, you know, immediately 94, Forrest Gump, yep. right? He wins two in a row and it's like... You know the sky is literally the limit. Apollo thirteen yep. and Toy 95. Story. Both are both are Toy big, Story. big four headed curly haired boys. Just, just they have that. They both have that beautiful like they are losing their hair, like but a just steady, enough. like a steady receding <laughs> hairline, which is solid. so. Really I'm so envious hold, of that. Holding you know, it like, down, yeah, yeah. It's like we got, we still got it. You know, the hairline's <laughs> high, but we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna run it high. Um, yeah, man, what a movie! Interesting picture, really effective. Like, really, you know, it's also funny to think about Kidman, where you know, just the next year, it'll be Batman Forever to die for, and she's really off to the races. And it's like, I, yeah, I think she's pretty. I think she's pretty good in this movie. I think she does all the right things with like what she's. Or got. I guess two years, ninety. Yeah, ninety five is watching forever, yeah. this on the tail of One Good Cop did have me thinking like oh russo could have done this like this could have oh, well, this yeah. could have been another key Kidman, kidman's good in this i think no she is i'm um, not trying to like write her out of the movie it was just an observation but she does yeah she does good work here Brad, we should he, say bruce joel rubin right wrote we said ghost he also wrote a little movie called Stuart little two ever heard of it and then co <laughs> code his only co-directing credit is with de palma on what is it dionysus oh dionysus yes, yeah 69 or 70 i um, think they came up together yeah i mean he's actually an interesting guy he he um the same year as ghost wrote another movie and it was jacob's, jacob's ladder, ladder yeah. which is crazy yeah i mean really crazy like when you think about it and like writer you know, ghost ghost is another one of those movies just to say ghost is another one of those movies um that gets kind of like ridiculed in retrospect. And I always think that's I think so that, I don't know if that's true anymore, but not, I know what you're talking I do think that movie has come sort of it's back around great, where people are like, oh, it Ghost is a rules. great yeah. movie. Yeah. Okay. When you talk about like screenplay and structure and like just a really well written movie and like, like really allows for like, get a little 
Tony Goldwyn, Tony Goldwinning. Tony, yeah, to- Tony. For people keeping Goldwyn. track of the Oppenheimer cast, that pops one of my up. favorite memories of just living or being in New York is I was friend of the show, Gavin Mevius and me were walking to the subway from our old office uh, on 38th, Connor. And we walked past Tony Goldwyn, who was like in the middle of a very animated conversation with somebody, like some life thing was happening and he was like in the crux of it. It was and my I life. Turned, and I turned to my life. And I turned to Gavin and I was like, he killed Patrick Swayze. <laughs> and Gavin just like started laughing so hard. Because I always, yeah, Tony Goldwyn's directed movies. He was in Scandal. He's been, you know, he's fucking Samuel Goldwyn's grandson. He's been around forever. And I will always be like, that fucking guy, man. He Reliable got, guy, he got though. Reliable Sam guy in the movie. Oh yeah. yeah, great. He's in, he's in Oppenheimer. Yeah, that's what I just said for everybody yeah. just oh, with their sorry. Oppenheimer bingo card listening yeah, to yeah, this yeah. Uh, listening to this episode. Um, while we're in Goldwyn Corner, real quick, I will say he is great as just the dude who's good at his job in Plane, which oh, came out earlier this year. Good. He's like he's his whole job is that. just to show up and be like. Yeah. I'm good at my job. All of you are not as good. I'm going to yeah. help you all be better. It's like... um, so, all right. So this is our last Keaton, but real quick though, I just wanted to, cause obviously we've done a lot of his B sides, but he's got so many. So real quick, let me just shout out a couple of movies that I love. And I'm sure this came out in the last episode, but just as a refresher, one of my favorite movies he has ever been in is the paper. So just high recommend Ron yeah, Howard great, movie. Great movie. Great, Re- great Reteaming movie. with um, Howard, yep. Yeah, reteaming with Howard. Um, he directed a movie called The Merry Gentleman, which is kind of an interesting movie. He's got a – he directed a new movie that's coming out um, this year. I think it's going to be at TIFF. Um, yeah, so as you're listening, it may already right, be exist in the world, yeah. And then I think the last one I just wanted to mention is um, – I do think he's great. I mean, we it came up briefly before. I do actually think he's great in Dumbo. You know, like Dumbo's an interesting sure. movie. I think it's kind of I don't want to say underrated because it's like a remake of Dumbo, but it's like it is in the Tim Burton of it all. It's like more interesting than you think it would be. It's like more interesting than for like late Burton. Yeah, you know? it's more interesting than most Burton movies in the last however many years. And I would wager certainly the best of the swath of live action i think other than cinderella sure which i think is my favorite sure it's definitely the only other one where i'd be like yeah that's interesting like there are things happening in dumbo yeah like you know like he's wearing fun glasses um i know we all recommend (laughs) the protege i he's playing with maggie we do all recommend yeah we do all recommend the protege bad guy kind of a little hottie in it like just oh, yeah. really the yeah. Oh, yeah. martin yeah. Campbell. Yeah. um and then he's he's legitimately great in spider-man homecoming as as uh oh, the vulture sure, sure, the, the yeah. scene in the car where he's taking the daughter to prom yeah, like he's, Spoiler, he's gonna kill is, this kid he's so fucking good in he's that. Gonna kill i mean that the kid. easy rec- the easiest recommend in the world and i think something anybody who loves speaking to his comedy in the 80s loved him in this is the other guys where yeah. he's just like he's uh he he has so many so many good lines he's like hey captain gene he's like it's not but don't call me captain gene i'm I not would the star of a he's kitty show just call me the, captain i think he call might have captain. all of the best lines and, in the and that guys. was his like, first comedy comedy in 
15 years probably so which is actually like at the time you're thinking oh dramatic actor michael keaton is in this broad comedy but it was probably adam mckay being like no no no, go back to your 80s bag and i want to see that michael keaton as as you know the cop uh as the boss so so i mean the whole bed bath and beyond sequence where that's my other job he's he's the manager he's the manager at bed bath and beyond and he's like he's like all right guys big news we got the new bath mats in and he's like and also if you live in you know blah 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 heights there's been a series of rapes and so you know so uh you know if you go home go home with a friend he's like oh oh sorry that's my other job ignore that well don't ignore it if you live there you know be careful it's so good i do do think um so good he also it's worth calling out i you know I'm a certainly a subs over dubs person when it comes to the Studio Ghibli movies, but I Porco do Rosso. think oh, his, yeah. so his good, performance though. in Porco Rosso is so good. Um, yeah, it's great. Yeah, I don't know. That's Michael, like a Michael, 1992 Miyazaki. Michael yeah, Keaton, a... great. Great, great yeah, he really I don't, like, is. Love the Jackie Brown out of sight, back to back, same character. Honestly, Ray Nicolette, okay, has, the fucking has there coolest. ever been like a full Ray Nicolette story? Can we just get him playing Ray Nicolette for like one more time? A whole movie, like <laughs> I um, for for the rest of my life, I went. I will, yeah, and it speaks to his whole tool chest, as we said. Maybe my favorite moment in any of his movies ever is after Jackie has pulled a fast one on them, yeah. and he's like, "Oh, you don't, oh." And he's got his hands up. He's like, he's oh, you don't know where, could, you don't know where the money could be. Oh, it could yeah. be there. It could be yeah. there. Oh, you have no idea. You have no idea. You have no idea. You have no idea. That, that I like will pull that scene up like every month just to be like, that is the good shit right it's there. That my, is that untapped key. Yeah, it's one, it's one of my favorite moments in any Tarantino movie. Oh, it's, it's, oh, yeah, it's so it's good. absolutely perfect. The best. Yeah. That would be cool to get Keaton one little another little slice of yeah have him show up. last last movie just get him sneak him in yeah put him in the movie critic why not give him a roll yeah just sneak him in well Someone he doesn't do call. well with movie critics as we've seen in Birdman from Birdman yeah that's true oh uh, that's a tough <laughs> part of that movie um all right so we've kind of said some favorites um, we've talked about our B sides we've covered Michael Keaton guys Corey. What a pleasure. Number five. So can we quickly name the five? It's been, what, Cru- what have Cruise they been? Part two, Cruise Part 2. Cruise 2. Part 2. Keaton 2. Winona. Schwarzenegger. Schwarzenegger. And Cage. Yeah. That's a good five. Yeah. That is a good five. That is a strong five. Winona. I love the Winona one. I think that was the first one That was the did. first one. Yeah. And then Schwarzenegger yeah, was Winona was second. good. Yeah. And I'm, I'm already angling for my next appearance. Kurt Russell, guys. I'm calling oh, right. it. I'm calling Kurt, it now, so I'll, we'll, we'll see one. you all in 2024. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> we're gonna talk about we're gonna talk about Dreamer, inspired by a true story. Yeah, well, uh, we're definitely gonna talk about Dark Blue for sure. Oh, mm. which is yeah. yeah well, I just we're gonna talk we're about some about Dark that. Blue. Yeah, pretty cool, pretty crazy movie. Maybe um, some breakdown. Uh, is that a B side? Yeah, I think that's I an A side for him. If we had done if we had done this podcast ten years Five ago, years it, ago? Would, yeah, yeah. it would have been a B side. Captain, he's Ron. got some. Captain Ron, I think, is another, like, is it a B-side anymore? People love it now, but I kind of a B-side. You know, I think you're getting into, like, Soldiers, a B-side. Yeah, movie definitely, I really definitely, like. definitely. I think it's kind of an underrated movie. He's got, like, eight lines. Um, yeah, yeah, I mean, no, there's some no good spoilers. ones. There's some really <laughs> yeah. good ones, we'll, we'll as, get in as, there. as my mind reels. Um, 
All right, well, I'm going to go kiss my children and think about my existential dread. Um, you did. Don't you so, have some tapes to make or something? So <laughs> I'm just going to see my phone, like saved videos, like, all right, to change oil, call your grandfather. Beep. I just thought I'm you were going to give them this podcast. <laughs> oh, that would be so sad. I'm going to go kiss like... my children that I just inherited because my partner died because he was bad at his job and he got shot in the head. Great. Because <laughs> he's a fucking idiot. Any final words, Corey? You want to plug anything? Um, yeah. So if you are in New York City, uh, come see us at the New York Film Festival. We are coming back for Cinefall Game Night. Um, uh, so go to uh, the New York Film Festival website for details on that. Really excited, Dan. Hopefully you'll be coming out as well. I love it. I love I love to try to get there. Yeah, great. that's my hope. That's my hope. Um, and go then, see go see the new uh, Nuri Bilga Salon movie. You and me, Corey. Yeah, three plus hours. Wait. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then other than that, um, with uh, Little Cinephile, we are releasing um, a new series of books called My First Movie Volume Two, uh, which will be three new children's books, uh, which are um, my first spaghetti western, my first Hollywood musical, and my first uh, Yakuza movie. Uh, and those are should be available for pre-order now and uh, will be shipping at the end of the year. So really excited about that. I know it might not yeah. be final, but you've been giving us some sneak peeks at the artwork and the the Yakuza one is definitely I was gonna say, the Yakuza one is beautiful. Like, what Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, they're all cool, but that's definitely my shaping up to be my favorite of the three. Well, the so colors. The I colors mean, are so good. In these. I'm a child is what I'm saying. I'm a child. Yeah. I'm a literal child. <laughs> no, it's it's for the grown-ups too, clearly. We did the first set last year uh, of Jallo movies and uh, film noir and French New Wave, and I think we're kind of getting even more, you know, pu- pushing it even further with this new set, and I think we're really, um, they're really going to be great, so I'm really I told, excited about I that. I told you, Corey, we, we were kind of not hiding, but like keeping apart the Jalo one for our two <laughs> little ones. But funny enough, they found it and it's their favorite. Exactly. I, I totally believe it. It's crazy. That's exactly what I was going to say. That and was it's the- Bo, our, our youngest, who's like, you know, just over one, not whatever. He doesn't know, but like, I think it's just the color. I don't know what it is. He like just loves that. Well, he's so Bo funny. is admittedly a big. He has deep, killed. He's yeah. a deep, he's a deep red yeah. fan. Yeah, he uh, has killed, and he loves his fan. leather gloves. Can I yeah, tell you true. that that book of the three, you know, other than the set with all three of them in it, that is the top seller of the three books, yeah. which it's is the, like, it's the cheekiest, right? Yeah, it's the it's, yeah, the, it's, it's, the, yeah. it's the one with yeah the, the kind of most boundary pushing, and so I think that's the one that uh, and plus horror fans are just crazy, and there's not a lot of stuff like that. So um, yeah, really really grateful and really excited for the next set, which I think is going to be even better than the first three. Yeah. Well, thank well, thanks for mentioning it, and obviously, congratulations as it's kind of uh, uh, getting out there. Um, for me, what DJ Mecca, Twitter, Blue Sky, the other one, um, reviews, film stage. Uh, hopefully, I'll see you in New York. <laughs> Fathom stories. Yeah, it's tough make, to say. Make stories. We're recording this a little bit a ways out, but. I'm sure we'll be up to things uh, yeah. that we'll that we'll share. We should also say by the time this comes out, we will have concluded our run of Cinephile Summer, mm-hmm. uh, which yeah. which you can go and find on uh, in both video and podcast form. Uh, Episodes on, with Happy, Sad, Confused, Light the Fuse, Bright, uh, yeah. Bright Wall, Dark Room, lots One of great heat, apps. One Heat Minute and Letterboxd. Uh, we hate movies. Yeah. 
just a lot of a lot of right, good stuff there. Them. A lot of fun times had. So uh, if you didn't catch those, you can go check those out on the Film Stage Show feed. They were a lot of fun to do. Um, and what else with this podcast? Yeah, as you're listening, um, we're kind of just getting back into it. We will have finished up our audience choice polls. So we'll be getting to some of those in the coming months. Um, also, if you like what you've heard, please do rate, review, and subscribe wherever you are listening. You can follow us at TFSB side on social media. And uh, yeah, Corey, always a pleasure to have you. I, uh, I'm glad you brought up Keaton again because it just it kind of always, I think, a more interesting, more impactful movie star than than maybe we give him credit for. Um, so this was definitely a, a fun round of movies to watch. I love Michael Keaton. He is my dad. He is my Batman. I will always love Michael Keaton. Anytime, every time you want to get nuts, you think to yourself, let's, let's get, get nuts. nuts. And honestly, normally this is where I would come up with some kind of a pun, but I think we'll just we'll leave it with that. Thank you, everybody, for listening, and uh, we will see you in two weeks. And now you're listening to the B-Side.